Welcome back, friends, to another episode of the Zephcast, the show where we get to know your favorite content creators, streamers, and podcasters alike. I am your host, Zephyrs XP, and with me today, we got Soulsborn Aficionado Barbecue Connoisseur and my legendary friend Suits here on the show. Thank you so much for being here today, Suits. How's your day going, man? Amazing, and it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for letting me on your show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to come hang out here, get to know a little bit more about you. I'm really excited. I got a ton of questions and I'm just really excited to see where our conversation takes us. Oh, let's rock and roll. So customary on the show to always start out with a fun icebreaker question. So you think you're ready for it? I'm ready. All right. If you could choose any two famous people to have dinner with, who would you choose and why? Ooh, that is a really good question. Hmm. One of them would be Stephen Hawking. Ooh. Because I, from a child, I had an absolute love of physics and hearing his theoretical physics talk and the conversation that would happen from that, outstanding. And then if, if I could properly communicate with him, Sir Isaac Newton also, because again, my love for physics and having those two gentlemen in the same room (laughs) at the same time, I just want to be a fly on the wall at this point. It would break the space-time continuum. (laughs) There we go. Dude, that would be really, really, really cool. Um, Have you seen that Stephen Hawking movie that came out a couple years ago? Um, I think it's the theory of everything I want to say. Yes, I have. Yes, That was a good movie. Loved it so much. I remember getting the breaking news a few years back when Stephen Hawking had passed away and I can't remember what movie my wife and I were watching, but I literally like stopped the movie and I was like, I, I started crying and I'd like never met him before, never had any personal connection, but there was just this moment of like, this is a, an Isaac Newton, Albert Einstein level genius that the world just lost. And those are, you could probably have that amount of intelligent (laughs) that amount of intelligent people on the world you could probably count them on one hand so it was it was a truly sad sad moment for sure but i mean stephen hawking isaac noon i think neil degrasse tyson said he thought isaac noon is like the smartest human being to ever live absolutely just figuring out calculus on his own and basically in the at the end of his teens inventing calculus yes It's like, I don't quite know why the, why the planets are circling around the sun. So I'm going to invent this math to be able to solve it. And, and he was like 20 years old or 18 or there's something crazy. Like just the amount of brilliance is absolutely insane. So jumping into the actual first question of the podcast, who is suits here, the streamer and the person behind the streamer. Oh my goodness. Deep question. Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Like day to day, I'm a family man. I'm a cyber professional. I really am passionate about my my career and what what it pertains to the world and how things within the cyber industry impact everyone's day to day life in a very transparent way that no one knows that it's touching them. And as a streamer, I just have an extreme passion for really getting to know people and also difficult games because I'm masochistic for some reason. (laughs) And it's, 
I always go through life with the mindset of everyone brings something unique to the table. Everyone has something that makes them them. I want to know what that is that makes each person who they are. And that's why I love interact, getting to interact with chat, getting to interact with people on Discord is something that streaming offers you in a way that nothing else really brings to the table. And just from growing up as a serial hobbyist, I've done so many weird hobbies throughout my life and getting to share those experience with all these other people who have separate passions. It's just a utter joy. And streaming has been able to do that for me. Streaming is pretty powerful when you think about it, just the way it can connect people from all around the world who without it, we probably would not be able to meet and then just develop these connections with people that are just so profound and, and the amount of conversations we can have with each other, especially when we get on calls like this on discord and can just have real in time conversations. It's, it's been a life changing thing for sure for me. And I know for so many others, um, that's it, or sorry, what just. I would have never thought something like this, this conversation happening right here, would ever have happened to me. It just, we come from, we're on different sides of the country. We have, we're doing completely different things in our lives and just getting to meet each other and really find these wonderful human beings is just a joy. I completely agree, honestly. And, and especially like when it comes to this stuff, like the podcast, this has been one of the best things probably I've done ever um because I've never been like a super duper social person so this is a great kind of get out the comfort zone and especially when it comes to Twitch I mean just the amount of incredible friends I've made on Twitch has been outstanding including yourself my friend um that's really cool though like do, when you're talking about your career at in cyber is it like cyber security particularly yes I I've been oh my goodness I've been in the IT world and as a career for two decades now. Wow. Not kidding, two decades. <laughs> and I'm I'm in my early 30s, so I start I'm like opened my own little company in IT as a kid. What? And yeah, yeah. And in at the it like the midpoint in college, I started interning and really dove into the cyber world. That's super, super cool. Is, is it, is it what you're trying to do? Prevent people from hacking like information, getting personal information, stuff like that, essentially putting the preventions it's, in. It's mostly preventions because simply because if you're doing offensive stuff, that's, that's not exactly legal. Even <laughs> right. if you're, if, even if you're doing your offense for a defense, that's, that's not legal. So everyone hacking is illegal. Don't do hacking because you will get caught and you will get in trouble <laughs> period <laughs> right but the the whole goal of like the industry is it's the unsung hero that sits in the background that's making sure everyone's data is safe because imagine just how little someone needs to find out about zeph for them to actually harm you like fiscally or even your name by faking who you are and being it's my passion to protect everyone from those terrible things that can happen in the, to them yeah i had um i had dora on the podcast last week and and there was a conversation we had about someone had gotten a hold of his information and um he ended up getting uh doxxed and yeah i was there for that that is beyond terrifying like stuff that that can happen 
I, I even we had a long phone call afterwards where I showed him, hey, this is how you properly report it to the FBI. Here's the data that you need to have. Here's what I captured from what the interactions that I saw that happened online. And I just made sure my presence was known in his chat like, hey, you, you done messed with someone right. <laughs> and you, there's someone here who knows, knows cyber law. So uh, let, let's play. Give me more stuff to just hang you with. God, that's so scary on a big, a big hesitance for me when I before I started streaming was the idea of people getting personal information. And like, I know I'm, I'm a very tech savvy person. I'm pretty smart with technology. I'm very careful to always like look at everything and try to monitor stuff. But I know there are so many people who are so much smarter than me and can just hack around that. Like it's nobody's business. So that's, um, that's super interesting. I, I knew you were in like the kind of software field, but I didn't know you were like specifically for cybersecurity. That's what I do. Um, my mom's husband i believe he also does i think he does more like coding stuff as well but he also mm -hmm. works in it and like cybersecurity stuff as well and it's oh man he's told me so many stories that are fascinating terrifying horrifying <laughs> incredible <Yep>. um <laughs> it's so interesting how like our entire system of everything of information of technology of money of finance is just all related and um all of it how it can be broken by you know you hear stories of some 16 year old with a laptop hacking into the pentagon or some crazy stuff like that so was that suits in another life no i've never i've never done any illicit hacking i've only only played around at home against my own things where it's 100 percent legal yes yes it's interesting when you think about it like defense is okay but offense is not okay in that regard well, that way you hold everyone to the same standard of mm -hmm. no matter what the offense is, you're it's you're not allowed to do it. Right, right. That totally makes sense. Um, are you like pretty familiar with like coding and stuff as well? A little bit. I, I'm more on the policy procedure implementation and managerial side. Gotcha, gotcha. Wifey and I have been talking quite a bit about like taking some like coding classes and kind of diving mm -hmm. into uh the whole software side of coding stuff. And I always thought it to become like the software engineer that, you know, is so, you know, idolized by so many like top paying jobs and, you know, most, you know, soon to advance jobs or like growing jobs. Everyone always talks about software engineers and coders. And we've kind of been looking into that. And it seems like you don't quite need a degree to get into some of those fields. It depends it uh, if you want to actually get into like some serious detail on that. I'm happy to talk to you anytime about that. Ooh, I might take you up on that because that's definitely something we're uh, we're talking pretty heavily about. I'll, I'll, I can help you write a good resume too. Hey, those resumes, I mean, they that gets you in the door, right? It does. Kind of stemming off of that, I do got to know, I think we kind of all already know the idea around where the suit came from, but do you kind of have an origin story how suits here, the suit, it all kind of plays together? Like an origin origin story? <laughs> well, like it came from work because I I love dressing up at work, and it just look when I look like a million dollars, I feel like a million dollars, and I really got into sartorial, which is men like men's dress fashion, back uh, like five years ago, and I just been taking off from then. So I thought, you know what? Here's something that I get to do. I got to do in my day to day life pre COVID that I don't get to do anymore because I just I work from a home office now. Right. So take this this little hobby of mine that I really enjoy and 
that not many people share and then use that as part of my online persona, which is still part of me, but just coupling those two together is just, it was a lot of fun. It is. Um, when I was in high, my last year in high school, and then kind of like a couple of years beyond, I was just super into suits and the dressing up and and everything. So I wore the bow ties, had the three piece, had the the peaked lapels. You know, no oh. no to uh, button the top button, but not the second button. That's a big mistake a lot of people make. Um, when it comes, man, to you you know it, man, you know it. As weird as it sounds, it was like. I remember I can't remember exactly what it was but I remember seeing a photo of Justin Timberlake and he had mm -hmm. like a nice blazer on and a tie and then he had like really nice jeans on and I was like that's an interesting combo and that was like a big thing in like late you know 2000s to kind of pair those I two together I, I'm a fan of it too I rocked it and it was it was good man man wifey and I we'd go to like no, no joke we would literally go to Nordstrom's for mm -hmm. like dates we would like take a date to nordstrom and i would just dress up in these like 200 300 english silk ties and it was just it, it was fun it was suits <laughs> are super fun honestly do you and it's it always makes you look better just putting on that sport coat just does something it does i love it <laughs> and you're so it's so true i believe exactly what you said about dressing like a million dollars can make you feel like a million dollars because there really is a subconscious effect where you're dressed up you got the tie on you're you're decked all the way out you sit down and you're like i just feel like i gotta get work done you know well that's also it's helpful it adds a little more presence when you are in a meeting and you're the one with the sport coat it, it does something yes yes it's such and the thing with suits is like they're one of those things that if worn incorrectly like way too big of a suit or you know maybe something a couple decades a little too old maybe it can it can kind of be an eyesore a little bit but when somebody just hits it right it's mm, it's chef's kiss for sure you can never go wrong with the classic gray or the navy just if you stick to those you will never go wrong my favorite suit i ever saw um, I was actually trying to look up the name of the actor before the show and I, I couldn't find the name of it, but he was from the 60s and he wore this like blue navy with these very light pinstripes and it was just Ooh. so good. It was because I think like Ooh. big bold pinstripes, I'm not super crazy about that, but those like very light thin ones, it is just such a look. I'm all for it. So I got one pinstripe sport coat and I, I put that on every now and then and oh. Do you go for the French cuffs as well? I do seldomly because um, typical French cuffs, I spend so much time on a keyboard, the mm. cufflinks will just get in the way. But if I'm not going to be, it's not a day of typing, I, I'll be in French cuffs. Do you have like some pretty nice cufflinks as well? Uh, a couple. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like that extra accessory, right? Like as though the suit could get accessorized even more. It's like, you got to get some nice uh, cufflinks as well. Well, honestly, in like men's dress fashion, there's not too many jewelry options. If right. you you can go too far on rings, if you wear a necklace, it looks tacky. It's pretty much watch cufflinks. Pretty much, yeah. And then maybe like yeah, like a wedding ring, or some people wear like one like a class ring or something. Mm -hmm. I've seen some people do like the the tie clip, like a thin one can be pretty decent if done right. I'll do a tie clip, but yeah, it can be it can be too much. When it comes to the tie, are you a fan of bow ties at all? Not really. Like, 
I'm, I'm a very broad guy. I have a 46 inch sport coat. So the tie looks like this on me. So it just, <laughs> I dwarf the tie that I wear. Make it like look small. Yes, yes, I make it look small, and then it's like, eh. I mean, also tying a bow tie. Ooh, that's tying a, a bow tie. They're hard to tie. I own a few of them, and gosh, are they hard to tie? They are. They are. Um, wifey used to get really good at like she she started to enjoy it, so she would like tie my bow tie for me when I used to wear them a lot. But yeah, like tying a, a regular tie is so much easier than tying a bow tie. I don't know. There's something about that that look though like again mm -hmm. if done correctly just a bow tie you know maybe with like a three-piece and just looks so oh. good okay with a three-piece yes because then you have that like extra thing to compliment yes absolutely right right oh i knew we were gonna talk about suits and stuff like i i, I don't get to talk about suits with anybody because everybody my age it just seems as like why would you wear a suit when you can wear yoga pants and leggings and basketball shorts and <laughs> nikes and i'm like Oh, it's just there's something about it you know everyone needs a good just even if it's one just one mm -hmm. good solid fitted suit you know you need it for that funeral that wedding or that job interview yes Always. yes oh man seeing some people like when i was working at my job seeing some people just walk in for an interview and they'd have like i don't know they they have like shorts on and and one guy came in in like a freaking basketball jersey and like basketball shorts i'm like that is that really how you want to walk into a job man <laughs> i mean you do you of course maybe you're the suaviest talker in the entire universe but oh first impressions like it's such first impressions are weird because like there's so much more to a person than just that initial 10 seconds but like it's just the reality it kind of is what it is like humans are so susceptible to that first impression you know it, it's so true and it is so sad but it's part of it's part of how we're wired sadly it is it, it's an evolutionary i don't know if it's a misstep i don't know what it is but it just kind of is is what it is in that regard so do you have a favorite particular person you look up to who rocks the suit best do you think oh i won't shout him out specifically because uh, i don't want to just drop his name but okay. it's a a former boss of mine was kind of took me under his wing and he like uh, he did some really high-end really cool things but he took me under his wing we taught and he really showed me like this is when you wear a pocket square this is what you do with the tie and the pocket square and w there would be like lunch hours where we would just sit there comparing like hey i found this what do you think and we, we would like bulk order suits together and just oh yes so i had a boss that i just looked up to and we it was amazing he's still a mentor i highly value i'm getting that scene from have you seen crazy stupid love i love crazy yes with ryan gosling and i don't uh, know why i love that movie so much but i do and yes <laughs> yes and he like takes him out to go shopping for everything and he like has the velcro wallet and he's like what are you are steve you jobs right. are, are you a billionaire oh man then, no <laughs> exactly exactly such a good scene um yeah, when you find somebody that you connect to on on just those little specific hobbies that people enjoy, oh, you just gravitate immediately to them. You're like, wait a minute, you you <laughs> like pocket squares too? Come here, let's let's go to lunch together immediately, right? <laughs> um, Absolutely. So a little bit off the side of the the suit talk. Um, what originally did get you inspired to start streaming on Twitch? 
So this is this is a really weird story, kind of. But I had no plan of streaming at all. Like I showed up onto the Twitch stream scene. Actually, I have the date in front of me. November 5th of the of gosh, 20. Yeah, 2020. November 5th of 2020. I was getting like starting to look into Bloodborne. Like I want to really get into like Bloodborne first playthroughs again because I love this game so much. And started watching on Twitch again and then I'm actually counting you Zeph were the seventh person I followed really? when I came back to so you were number 7 from who I followed. Wow. And it was you know, uh, out of the like 300 and some odd I follow right now. And Throughout like throughout like October, November, uh, December, I was just I would call my buddy and say, "Hey man, I'm playing this game that you want to watch. I I'm I'm just going to put it on Twitch. Here here's the link." And he and I would just talk on the phone, watching me play the game, and just be muted. It was just it was nice. the worst stream you could possibly imagine. <laughs> Didn't have chat up. Wasn't talking to anything or anyone. Doing nothing. And then I thought, you know what? I'll try a stream. And I thought, I'll just do, I have a character ready. I'll do a new game plus speed run of Bloodborne. And my buddy found out I wanted to do this. And he said, hey, let me know when. I'll raid you. So he came in with a raid of like 50. Wow. And because I had all these subsequent like streams of me on the phone with my buddy before that, I got affiliate instantly because my average just shot through the roof I'm like well i'm an affiliate now at the end of december i guess i'll give this a go and it's just been so much fun since i was the i'll send you a picture i have a picture of my first stream that i did where i was talking to chat it's literally a blue snowball microphone strapped to my chest with a necktie what? with me lounging in a chair so I could balance the microphone on my chest oh, while playing God. Bloodborne. <laughs> Wired it directly into the PlayStation. It is the jankiest setup you can imagine. And that is how I started streaming. If you can make it work with that, then I don't want to hear anybody on Twitter again saying you're saving up for that $5,000 PC so you can no. start streaming from your PlayStation 4. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously like like those are the kind of stories i feel like so many people need to hear is like no matter what you got if you really really want to start streaming you probably already have everything at your disposal to just hit that button and go live like right here my fill light that i have illuminating this set is a target lamp with a t-shirt on it Nice. I'm not kidding like to this day nice. it's a target lamp with a t-shirt with a matched just white level bulb compared to my other lights honestly lights are one of those things too that you can that make such an enormous impact on a stream Huge. but they're like the cheapest thing that you can get you can get a 10 20 light that just ups your quality tenfold it's it's insane you can have the piddliest piddliest little webcam put good lights on it it's gonna look good yes yes it, it's like the difference i mean i've seen some videos where somebody takes a $50 webcam with a, you know, $20 light, and it looks better than a $2,000 camera in complete darkness because you exactly. gotta have that light. It's so important. Um, 
yeah no that's that is super super awesome I, number seven i remember when you very did when you did start streaming do you think a big reason why you kind of hit affiliate so fast is um because you're so involved as like friends and an active member in so many different communities as well that really was it for me as well i i'm just a very sociable person i think i think you've picked up on that like, yes. i do networking professionally and i i love doing that so just i'm in over 100 discord servers over wow. here wow. I'm, I'm, i don't pretend to try and read everything that i get but I just getting to connect to people i had I, I just so many people i just love talking to so many people so i got i got to have these little per, mini personal connections just through chat that i built a lot of friends in inside twitch so that it just the networking side really helped me get there it's something i love doing yeah having that networking piece and and just that that want to go out of your way to meet more people and you know there's been times where i've just thought like if, if you really want to whether it's growth or whatever you're looking for out of streaming um just just taking that extra step sending that message first being the first person to start that conversation um that can do absolute wonders you know and and i know not everybody's maybe as extroverted as you are um like i mentioned earlier i'm i'm pretty introverted i'm i would say i'm very introverted oddly but like just taking that step sometimes and like just go for it you know and and making friends has like been one of the best experiences on twitch hands down do you think that's been kind of the highlight for you so far 100 hundred percent there are there are friendships that i've made on twitch that i think are going to last the rest of my lifetime i'm planning like i'm planning get togethers with multiple people and i'm, I'm working on getting more get together plans and i'm building a map of where everyone is in the nation so if i'm on a business trip in the area i'm like hey what you doing let's make this happen i got a kick-ass barbecue joint here in portland <laughs> that maybe you can give your opinion on so when you are in the pdx oh, yeah. absolutely taking you out to lunch <laughs> my friend oh heck yeah i am down i hear you are but quite the brisket connoisseur oh <laughs> I, I it it's it's one hobby that i do not get to do enough and that i do love so much but so just background on it i got very lucky my when my grandfather passed away i inherited his beautiful ceramic smoker that wow. my mother told me stories of the meat that my grandfather made on this thing so i'm like but hmm. i have time i'm working from home let's uh let's see what i can do here so i learned like how to where i need to put the meat on the grill how to season it how much smoke what temperature i need to have it to and then just the wife when she when i say hey i want to smoke something she's like okay we'll do this and this and this and what else can you do in the, with the <laughs> timeline of how much wood you have on the on the smoker so it's like i've done only one brisket stream i hope to do another sometime soon but i did like a mini stream beforehand where i showed this is like here's the brisket that i got from the butcher let me show you exactly how to do a texas style brisket how you trim it this is how you, this is exactly how i season it i'm not do, holding any secrets back and then th did a almost 13 hour long stream of me cooking the brisket Ooh. outside and then it ended still my my hottest clip that i have ended with me cutting into the brisket and just showing how juicy that thing mm, that sounds so 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 good honestly do you think the brisket is your favorite thing to put on the barbecue i think actually i think a good pork shoulder 
because I can take Ooh. that smoked pork shoulder and do so many more things with it. I, my last pork shoulder I did, I'm like, okay, here's the smoked bone from the pork mm. shoulder. Let's make some tonkatsu broth. Oh, God. And then let's slice this, this smoked pork into some fresh ramen that I'm making. And let me make some pulled pork sandwiches with some oh, of the leftovers. I, there's all these things <laughs> that you can do with, like, I have a five pound hunk of meat and now do all these other little things. Whereas brisket, it's wonderful. It's amazing, but it's, it's brisket. It's always going to be brisket. Like the a creme de la creme though, of my, uh, my grilling career has been my pastrami that I made. Oh my goodness. It took, it took me a <laughs> month, not kidding, a month to make the pastrami because you need to brine the pastrami in a, like a seasoned salt bath for like three to four weeks then i spent Ooh. i spent a day cooking it a day smoking it and then letting a day of it just resting with all the flavors getting into it it was heavenly oh, i was literally just about to say that sounds incredible <laughs> and heavenly is the perfect word so for good. it so do you when you do that do you add like some good barbecue sauce to it or do you kind of like stay away and just kind of let the meat do all the talking i let the meat do the talking simply because yeah, I'm, I'm having it to carry that very unique smoked flavor, mm -hmm. it, it, and it's such a subtle flavor that sauce would commonly obliterate it. So I usually stick to it's the meat. Yeah, I've I've heard a chef say that like a really good sauce, barbecue sauce, steak sauce, whatever it is, a really good sauce is good for something that's a piece of meat that's not the best or maybe just mediocre. But like once you get like a really nice piece of meat, that's when you don't really want to touch the sauce. Kind of leave it be. You want it for the masterpiece of what it is. Right, right. Oh man, wifey has this, um, I think it's a, an iron skillet that she's very careful to like not put in the dishwasher for rust or whatever. And she swears that the more she uses it, just like the flavors build on it, it just gets more flavorful. Mm -hmm. So I'm not much of a cook myself. She definitely is the master when it comes to cooking and all of that. So, but I really have been interested in getting into barbecue one of these days. So, hey, for sure. I, I can. Uh, I'm uh, here's my my one thing that I stand by it kind of, most things like don't sink all everything into whatever you want to try out don't be mm. afraid to try out a hobby but don't go full bore because if you don't like it you're out a lot of things make do with some things so if you want if you want some of that discussion of what can I do to get started I'm always there to talk about that a hundred percent a hundred percent it's kind of like streaming you don't need to spend thousands of dollars to kind of get going just get going with what you got right use a blue snowball taped to your chest with a, a necktie yes connected yes. directly to a console <laughs> yes i mean that's definitely the way to go i mean i've seen i've i've seen streamers hit partner on twitch just streaming straight from their playstations you know not having any fancy alerts or overlays or anything it's it's one of those things where like just any hobby, if you really want to do it, just get started with what you got and make small improvements along the way, right? Exactly. I did see on your Twitch as well that you were really, really interested in self-help and development. Do you I, have- Yes. Do you have like Go a ahead. particular author or like motivational speaker that kind of like hits it out of the park for you that you look up to a lot? 
For me, I have an annual read list that I go through since a lot of the like motivational speakers, a lot of the self-help authors are just there to milk a cash cow because they get it's the like, you, yeah, you, you, you sell the same thing said the same said a different way 20 times and you're a millionaire because everyone buys the book because everyone wants to be a better, a better version of themselves, which I, I am happy that people want to be better versions of themselves, but don't fall for the trap of all, all, all these things that people are selling. So I have I, I have an annual read list that I go through and those those people really, really kind of make me look inside and kind of think, what do I need to change? Because everyone can be a better version of themselves. True. Step one in becoming a better version, never compare yourself to others. Only compare yourself to the you of yesterday. Because if you tr start comparing yourself to others, people are climbing a different ladder. People have yes. a different life. People have different skills. You are just going to start running a, running a race you can never win. Always be looking at yourself and reflecting on what you are and what you want to change. But yeah. the number one book that I go through is, oh, hold on. I would, uh, I would even say to that, like, that's probably so true that that is one of the most important life advices to hit. It's also probably the hardest life advice to actually keep. And also even in streaming, because I see so many people that yeah. come to me going, why don't I have these numbers to this person? Or why am I not having this to this person? Why do they have more followers than me? And it's, I say, stop, just stop comparing yourselves. It's go on your journey, figure out what you want to change and what you want to work on. It's, it, it, it it's going to just it it hurts to realize that it's you that you need to fix if there's a change that you want to happen because that no ownership. one is perfect right it, it's taking ownership of yourself and taking ownership of yourself is so so hard to do it is it is sorry what was what was uh the book list you're saying again my bad <laughs> I, um I, I'm, I'm like i'm brain farting right now but one of oh, them is it's an it's an old book it's just an essay um so realize it's an old book realize it's just an essay and realize that it, there were, it's from like the turn of the turn of the 20th century so it's it's old so there's there's some verbiage in there that some people may not like but there's a really good message built in and it's the as a man thinketh it's like 19 pages it's one of my go-to's Wonderful. Also, Sun Tzu's Art of War is Ooh, another one that of my, my, yes, another one of my uh, regular reads. And also look up the author, Victor Frankl. He talks about um, what drives humans, what is the core thing that makes people do what they want to do as, as a Holocaust survivor, because he watched people get stripped down to just nothing, just all their sense of self went away. And he talked about the time and the struggles that he went through and why, what made some people survive the struggle and some people not survive the struggle. It's a hard read, but oh my gosh, does it, it really speaks to me and it, I, I cry every time I read it, but it's Viktor Frankl, an amazing read. I'm immediately intrigued. It kind of reminds me of, uh, of like Schindler's List, one of the mm -hmm. hardest movies to watch, but like, my God, everybody has to watch it at least once. Absolutely. 
you know i feel like as i'm as i'm getting older i'm starting to realize that a lot of those dark nightmarish kind of truisms about humanity they're so fascinating to like dive mm -hmm. into and just never to agree with a lot of them but just to take that step back and just i, I was um I was talking about this on on stream actually earlier today i was like just the ability to not agree but understand where somebody's coming from is one of the most valuable i don't know if it's a skill set but it might be a skill set just like one of the most valuable things anybody can learn you know to be able to I, I wish a lot of our country i wish a lot of the world could understand this more but just be like i don't agree with you on some things but i want to understand why you think the way you do why you got from here to here you know and being able to get to that point is really challenging because you have to shed a lot of preconceived things that you have and you need to look past it's it's what we talked about earlier first impressions you need to look past the first impression and dig just that little bit deeper and being able to just go beyond your box of yourself and include someone else into that understanding that you actually focus on it is a skill it's very challenging and i respect anyone who can actually break into that it's like the difference between the micro of of what your own self life is versus the macro of how it relates to the bigger picture and you know humans it, it's interesting because like this is all advice we've heard from elders and wisdom throughout our entire life like the you know walk in another person's shoes kind of mentality and it's just it's so it's like sage old advice but so many people just don't do it you know <laughs> it's like using a blinker when you're driving everybody tells you to do it but <laughs> right exactly um so outside or here's another question i did want to ask in regards to the twitch so your channel's grown quite a bit in the like six seven months you've been streaming um i remember when you told me that you were going to start streaming i was so incredibly excited for you it's always really exciting when really really just really awesome people in your community decide that they want to take that leap and start streaming themselves it's just an immediate it's like a party um where do you see your twitch channel going in the next one to two years do you have any mid to long-term goals in mind that you're kind of striving for but so i never had i never have a, a goal to make partner or make it big or anything like that my whole goal is to have a chat that's active enough with people that want to talk to me and just talk to each other that playing the game is just is starting to get a little challenging <laughs> so just ha build a community of people who actively enjoy hanging out together and people who i i will get to understand watch grow and see what like the seasons of their lives that are going on and maybe things they want to try and maybe things that they experienced and get to share all that with those people so hit that that sweet spot of i can barely keep up with chat <laughs> Do you have kind of that's where I want to be? Do you kind of have like a average viewer point where you've seen it? you're kind of right at that point? Is it like 40 viewers, 50 viewers where you're kind of like bouncing back and forth? Or is it not even viewer count? Like sometimes it's it's not viewer count because I've had I've had 50 plus people in chat and chat's dead. Yeah. They just want to watch the video game that's going on on the screen. And that's Working. fine for for what's going on. And I get that. And it's the, the people that came in that they're there to watch the game. And I totally respect that. So and like the busiest my chat has ever been was at like 20 viewers. 
I yeah. had uh, just I, I sat down and thought after that stream like how many messages were typed in the chat and I I had to go back and just see how many me I don't know what the number is off the top of my head but it was an order of magnitude larger than what my usual stream gets and was at 20 viewers did you notice it was any specific topic you were bringing up or were you doing because I've noticed with my streams whenever we go into like tier makers or mm -hmm. you know anything where it's like very I want your opinion give me your opinions in chat that's when chat really pops off so whereas sometimes you know you're just really focused on a boss in a game and chat's pretty dead because maybe a lot of them are watching or lurking um do you kind of have a particular just chatting or tier maker or something that popped it off out of curiosity it was it was a, one of my bloodborne playthroughs because with bloodborne specifically i don't have to look at the game very much so i can get really i can interact a lot with chat during bloodborne playthroughs so it was a bloodborne playthrough and we were talking about builds and that went on to that somehow got into hobbies and we just went off on a tangent there i so actually I, I started my officially started my streams on December 28th. So I don't, I have, I still be six months then in no, almost two weeks. Right. It's right there. Yeah. Are six you, months. And do you have my, any my year. plans for like a six month, any party or any, anything you got in mind to do for like a celebration stream? Uh, end, uh, not end, beginning of July, I'm working out the schedule with the wife and work. I want to do either 12 or 24 hour stream and also joint uh, a birthday stream for me at the same time. So six month birthday, make it all line, line up for a big stream and I'll have a lot of fun. I'm trying to get the wife to agree to 24, <laughs> but that's not working out. <laughs> I mean, I... I I, I've done a couple 12 hours and my God, those are very difficult. And I, I swear I say it every single stream and every podcast, but like, I just don't understand in my psyche how Happy Pigs is able to do a 24 hour like every week. It just, it doesn't compute in my brain how that's possible. He's wired differently than many people. Just, <laughs> I, he, he's a unique human being and I love him to death. Yes. He's such a great person. Mike is amazing. Absolutely just one of the most fantastic humans I've had the pleasure of meeting on Twitch. Um, it's it's really cool talking to like different streamers and kind of figuring out what that either brand identity they have or what like kind of makes them different, makes them unique. You know, that's such a, a an important thing. I feel like some people really kind of neglect sometimes when they're starting out with streaming. It's really important to figure out whatever makes you unique, whatever your brand style is, whatever makes you you and just accent that and just go a hundred percent in on it you know be yourself that's the number one thing is be who you are and be genuine be genuine yeah i mean it's you always hear stories of some people who have thousands and thousands of viewers or just whatever like those really big youtubers twitch streamers and they just kind of felt burnt out from this personality show they're putting on so yeah i mean the more genuine you can be the more honest you can be with yourself the more you can honest you can be with you know your community and your friends and everything just the easier it will be because there's nothing to fake you're just being you exactly and i i'm going to brag a little bit on that so i had a friend come into stream i didn't know their username and they they i've known them since i was 11. like we played baseball together and nice. we were like school friends 
and eventually i said hey why don't you ever come to my streams because i told you what my when i stream he said i'm there I said, what's your username and i found out like yeah i've been interacting with my childhood friend that i didn't know was my childhood friend and i said okay am i me am i me on stream because it's it's hard to hold the mirror to yourself sometimes and he said you are exactly who i see every single day when we interact that everyone is getting what you are in real life. So I'm like, okay, yes. That's a good <laughs> that feeling. Was a, it was a great feeling because I was, I'm doing what I wanted to do and I know that I'm being genuine. The more genuine you can be and just honest with it, you know, the, the better outcome. It might, growth might be slower, you know, getting mm -hmm. that that big break or whatever might take longer, but it, it's it's so important to be genuine because you just won't get burnt out as much. You'll just be more honest with yourself and it'll be a smoother ride in the long run, right? Absolutely. Outside. And you'll like yourself in the end. Yes, yes, you, that, that yeah. is most important. <laughs> <laughs> um, outside of streaming on Twitch, do you have any plans or interests of pursuing any other original content on other platforms like TikTok or YouTube or anything? Well, uh, here outside of like eventually i want to do some lore videos on youtube uh you won't see me on, you won't see me on tiktok i'm too old for that no dancing no dancing <laughs> no dancing you won't you won't see me dancing no, I, I plan to do some lore videos i plan to do um eventually if it actually works out maybe take take kind of the professional development stuff that i really enjoy and add some of my like work experience advice and maybe put that onto twitch one crazy thing i'm thinking about doing is um doing more art i do like this backdrop is mine like i made this I, I love abstract line art i love very modern style art so maybe explore this a little bit more because i have i've done a few paintings i love doing them and just applying that you definitely should. Art streams are like one of the best things on Twitch. You know, you get some good background music, get the cool camera set up with your hand, kind of mm -hmm. drawing or, or painting and stuff. Art streams are amazing. You 100% should do it. I have a plan. This is like, I have a very twisted humor. I think, <laughs> I think people figured this out, especially with the new emote that I popped up that you've seen the uh the chicken wearing the tie if you've yes, seen it yes I, I actually saw <laughs> when i was um getting ready for the show i saw the, the new modes <laughs> but but the hype one is still my favorite uh, dr mcho jack did such a good job so <laughs> i have a play on words that i'm going to do with this and i'm going to call it lines with suits mm. for it's a it's a terrible play on words but i find it quite witty <laughs> you definitely should honestly <laughs> And the thing with art, I feel like I'm not an artist myself, but I'm, I definitely am a musician and play a lot of music and stuff. And I feel like it's, it's similar part of your mind where you can just kind of close your eyes and just kind of get in the zone. And it's almost like an escape in a way, you know, mm -hmm. a little bit. This was, uh, so I had a terrible streaming accident that spawned this painting. <laughs> I was, I'm, I'm in this room on a a much smaller desk than this. I got I got the tiniest desk I could. I had just built a computer and two days later, I'm sitting there streaming, enjoying a beer and I knock the beer over because the desk is so tiny. Oh no. Beer spills into the computer that's two days old, fries the motherboard, oh no. fries the processor. Oh. The video card survived. 
my so my gtx 980 that i'm writing <laughs> that's i don't know how old survived so i'm lucky there so i was so mad at myself there's nothing i could do my computer is just smells like beer now because it just cooked the beer inside of it yeah i went outside and said okay i'm going to channel this rage that i have right now into something <laughs> that's healthy and i <laughs> made this painting <laughs> that is that is a nightmare scenario right there um i just got my pc i like moved it to where it's on kind of a shelf thing because it was on my desk and it was too big and just everything's too big I, I wish i got a bigger desk somehow even though i got the biggest desk i could possibly find um but yeah that, that would just nightmare scenario right there dude uh that's but it's awesome that you took that rage and spun something positive out of it instead of just screamed into the universe that everything everything <laughs> hates me why did this happen but channeling that that's awesome like and it has more back up and running in a week nice I was back up and running in a week because you had your gpu <laughs> because i had, because i had a gpu from so long ago dude the the gpu market is like it's impossible to get anything right now it's it's insane i've looked and i just i'm like i'm okay with what i'm doing right now i'm not going to take the gpu out of someone else's hands that really needs it to play video games so when this blows over okay I'll, I'll really dive in or if this dies i'll get desperate but on the flip side you do have a ps5 right i do have a ps5 i got incredibly lucky uh i've been an avid sony person forever i've had playstation plus since i think 2013 wow or maybe 2012 i don't know it was a long time ago and i'm paid up on my ps plus till 2025 holy crap <laughs> so on sale well, yeah every time it's on sale like, why not and then it pops up on sale again like why not <laughs> so sony invited me in the end of september said hey would you like a ps5 here's your personal reserve slip that you just click on and say you want a ps5 so i just i got incredibly lucky there so i had on release day a ps5 on my doorstop from sony wow i i think i i've heard i heard some people got that exact same email but like nothing was mm -hmm. followed up with it or was it i, I had that's my ps5 man that's it's so funny because every time i talk to somebody who has a ps5 they always start their story with oh i was so incredibly lucky and then they jump into it like that's how you know how rare these things are now do you have, it's it's go ahead do you have any like games that you're playing on them aside from probably demon souls is that the big one well demon souls was the one that i was like i bought this to play demon souls because i wanted to play demon souls and then I finished, like I platinumed it 12 days after release. So then yeah, it's a short I started game. diving, <laughs> I started diving back into my old games and, uh, actually, let's see the only other like dedicated PS5 game I've bought. This is going to be really sad. Is call of duty cold war. Hey, that, I mean, call of duty is a banger, right? Yeah. <laughs> Can be. I, I, I'm not. I'm not your typical Call of Duty player, so it's. I, I'm not into the multiplayer, but 
I do love me some zombies. Yeah. I do love playing zombies so much. So those are the only two like dedicated PS5 games that I have bought. Eventually I want to get Returnal. I just Yeah, I was just it's hard say. to justify this the $70 purchase of a game nowadays, so it's, if I don't need it now, I'll wait for it to go on sale. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's so hard to justify that $70 price for a game, but at the same time it's like, oh, but it's going I, I'm just I'm such a believer that like developers should get every dollar that they can get because I don't think developers and a lot of the people who make the games are paid what they should be paid in a lot of instances. But at the oh, same time, not. $70 for a game is just insanity. Especially when it's like a remaster of a PS4 game. Like I, I heard they're remastering, I think, The Last of Us for PS5. There's like a rumor or, or something was confirmed about that. And I'm like, again, really? they're remastering really? the remaster. The remastering the remaster that's what gta 5 is gonna happen to gta 5 and skyrim oh I, I know there's a there they already have a, a release date for gta 5 i'm like again yes. how many times are you gonna release this game have they have they announced anything with skyrim yet on ps5 i'm surprised that they haven't that i know of i'm still surprised about it because how many different versions of skyrim are there there's Skyrim on everything. You probably play Skyrim on your refrigerator or Tamagotchi or something. <laughs> probably. That's actually a game I've never played. I've never played Skyrim. I own it. Just never have touched it. I'm in the same boat. I have it. It's I think I put it into my PlayStation and played like 15 minutes of it. And then something was like, I, I don't know. I just didn't end up playing more of it for some reason, but I really want to. Everyone says the world's amazing. The music is like incredible mm -hmm. to listen to but it's just it's one of those things i feel like it's on the same level as like the witcher 3 and persona 5 where these are masterpieces of games but they're so big and so long like the dedication 80 hours right <laughs> 80 hours if you're like going main story cruising through it you know probably 200 plus if you do everything else G give me my souls game i'm happy with my souls game so <laughs> I'll be honest, like when I started playing the Souls games, um, I actually have like a ton of questions about like Souls. So I guess we could just jump straight into that. Um, Let's do it. Your love of Soulsborne is deep, my friend. So what got you interested in wanting to start doing challenge playthroughs, like no death runs and weapon run, like weapon specific runs? Was it just kind of the, getting to try something different? Well, it, it spawns from the the love those the challenges spawn from the love of one game in particular. I love Bloodborne, and part of that stems from my love of the cosmic horror genre, which is so seldomly touched in just any sort of media. And it, even when touched, it's done terribly. Bloodborne is one of the few things ever in media to do cosmic horror right. So it just I have a deep love of the game. For the no death run, I was thinking, I'll try this. I think I can do it. And then pushing like fellow members of my Discord group to get going on this and just eventually having a race with it. It was a lot of fun. Just doing something that is just, it's hard to do. And if you told me a year ago, you will play Bloodborne Deathless, like start to credits Deathless. <laughs> I would have said, okay, sure, fine. I like go back on on whatever you're doing <laughs> over there. So I don't believe you, but yeah, it was 
doing that. And the reason why, so the weapons runs, that's a, other, a whole nother tangent. I got into this specific like subgenre of the Bloodborne fan group of chalice modding and like save file modding where you can actually build custom chalice dungeons by flipping certain hex bits and integrating certain things about the save file that changes a dungeon that you can then share with the world. Interesting. And it, so I, I've been in the hexadecimal save file code learning how that operates. And then I sat down thinking about this, like I can replace any item with any item. No one gets to watch someone grow with these weapons that are in Bloodborne because you got to kill all these bosses to get the weapon. Then you instantly get to plus 10. And you just, they go at it from whatever the plus, the highest level is that they, they have the weapon at right this way. You, I, I, like, I spawn in, I pull out the save file, go edit it, put in the exact weapon I want, start the game up, and then play through the entire game from the werewolf in the clinic to orphan of cause. If I like the weapon, <laughs> just show it's like I'm growing with this weapon, I'm building a build around this weapon, and we are experiencing and learning what this, how this operates with the world around us together. And just doing a showcase that I've never seen anyone else do and really exploring the nuances of each of these weapons. It's it's because the trick weapons are phenomenal. They're an amazing piece of game design and you don't get to dive into the nitty gritty details like you would if you did a, like, oh, my favorite was a Rakuyo only run. Like I, I got to learn movesets that I just didn't know existed and got to test them out real time and discover them real time. So it's fun to go on that journey with chat and get to experience that with all of us having this passion for this this game together. And that's that's what spawned that. And that's why those those weapon only challenge runs are so special to me. And what and that not many people can do that because they don't have the software and the hexadecimal know how to make the editing, which again, I'm 100% um, transparent about and I'm happy to teach anyone about it. But it's, it's something that I, I I like to share with the community since I'm one of the few people out there that can and will do that. Do you have a favorite weapon in Bloodborne going through it so many times? Oh, like if you it had really to pick depends one. on the, if I had to pick one. Am I doing PvP or PvE? Because there are two different answers. Hmm, both. Because I okay. Maybe one if for I both. Had to, one for both. Church pick, just an arcane church pick with either bolt or arcane because just the move set is so much fun on the church pick and it's one it's the only weapon in the game that has the two unregistered weapon affixes to it it's both serrated hmm. and holy which makes it makes it really helpful in a lot of pve situations and yes the move set if you ever want to have fun charged r2 in an R2 in the tricked form, it just launches whoever's in front of you. And it's amazing. And it's fun in PvP because people don't expect you to have the follow-up ready to go. So they'll see you do the R2, they'll come in to punish, and then you just launch them in the air. <laughs> it feels so good. I haven't really played around with the church pick too much. Um, I heard someone say, it might've been Jesus Here's Toast. He was talking about like the best DPS weapon 
being the saw cleaver? Do you think the saw cleaver 100%. is overrated? Or do you think 100% it's worth it? the saw cleaver is saw cleaver is if you're going on raw DPS, saw cleaver has the highest possible raw DPS. With the period. R1 attack, just like spamming R1. R1, uh, R1, L1 specifically mm. will net you more damage per stamina point than any other weapon that I know of in the game. Interesting. That was my that was my first weapon and my first Bloodborne playthrough when they were okay. asking like what to pick up at the very beginning. I knew I wanted the sock lever because it was on the box art and I'm like, oh, it looks so cool. Like who else has a freaking sock lever? Like some games have hunter axes and stuff, but like sock lever, come on. It's so it's so just core to the bloodborne iconography i guess you know the hunter and the hunter yarnum outfit and the saw cleaver and the blunderbuss it's just it's it's beautiful i totally agree with everything you're saying about cosmic horror and like the hp lovecraft vibes and it, it's i've always loved hp lovecraft and like looking up like comic art and and reading through the stories and and it's so weird and fascinating and and terrifying and this like this this unknown fear of like you know things that are outside of humanity's control you know this idea that we're being watched or are we can't even decide our own fates just everything's being guided through us through cosmic beings and it's so fascinating but it's not really ever done well in anything so mm -mm. yeah when i first started playing bloodborne i thought it was just like a van like a vampire werewolf kind of intro and i'm like hey yes. we're just killing like zombie werewolves like that's cool and then i think it was what was it i think it was like around the the forest i'm like something mm -hmm. this is weird this is getting getting into weird places it's such a cool game that was that's the when i was when i've been streaming on twitch um I didn't really ever play games off stream much. Like I pretty much just played the games when I was streaming and it was Bloodborne. It was playing Bloodborne where after I beat it, I was like, you know what? I want to play that game off stream because it was so much fun and I did a new game plus on it. And I think I went from using the saw cleaver to using the Holy Blade, I think. Not the Moonlight Blade, just like the Ludwig, Ludwig's Holy Blade. And that mm -hmm. that was so different because Saw Cleaver is like pretty fast paced and the, um, you know, Ludwig, I tried to use it in like the R2, like the heavy position mostly. And uh, it was, it was, it was fun. It was different, but it was, it was kind of like the Zweihander for Bloodborne. Pretty much is. It pretty much is. You're 100% right there. It's such a fun game, honestly. Do you think there's going to be a Bloodborne 2 at all. I know we've talked, speculated about this before. So from my understanding of Miyazaki, I do not ever see a Bloodborne 2 because Miyazaki loves playing in a new IP because he likes the, the borders of his sandbox to not exist. Because mm. once an IP exists, you have to play within the borders. Right. And putting putting the the genius of Miyazaki into that little box of Bloodborne even though it's a wonderful place to be he doesn't enjoy it and he will do everything he can to create a new IP I wonder why they went ahead with Dark Souls 2 and Dark Souls 3 I'm sure it might have well, been a studio cash baby it was, push it was a studio decision and it was an agreement that Bandai Namco had like from the onset also demon souls was miyazaki's first like first souls. unique thing from him 
because he he worked as a a, a director beforehand for like an armored core game right which very different than your typical souls game and then if you look into demon souls it's sold terrible i think it sold like two hundred thousand copies wow. total wow uh, like, like sony dropped wow. it sony said we don't want any part of this now like, it's a cult someone else classic <laughs> exactly that's why that's why it was a sony developed game the ip was owned by sony and sony said we're not going to publish this anymore and when i think atlas uh, i can't i don't remember how to properly pronounce their name asked for distribution rights sony's like yeah go ahead we don't care we don't want this game this game isn't doing anything in the japanese market and then they took that to the rest of the world and it exploded and what would have been like dark souls would have been a playstation only if place if sony had actually stuck with the game that they got in fact the original thing sony desired was a sony a, a playstation exclusive skyrim clone wow that's what dark souls was not dark souls demon souls was supposed to be a skyrim clone and miyazaki's like no we don't need any of these let's do this <laughs> you this got game, the wrong this game's guy already, this game's already being canceled like, like they were saying we're going to cancel the game and he finished development on his own unique game that created a genre it did it did yeah you know and bandai namco said bandai namco said this is good and they they signed a contract with from software and said okay we're going to make dark souls I wonder how, so it was blowing up in America that eventually led to them okaying Dark Souls? It, it was blowing up in America that made Bandai Namco note that this game is special and we want to make more of these games. And that's why it's available on all platforms because mm-hmm. it's not a Sony game, it's a Bandai Namco game. Very interesting. So were they already working on Dark Souls 1 while Demon Souls was selling terribly? nope no no it was like a flop it it was a yeah they said it was a brand new ip that they gave to from software very interesting very interesting i haven't played the og dark soul or the og demon souls on the ps3 but i've seen some like video and gameplay of it and it looks it's rough it 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 definitely is rough looking for sure but it has this almost uh, someone was mentioning in chat months back like this almost like ethereal vibe to it like very Mm. different than dark souls there's almost this like just ethereal kind of i don't want to say holy but just kind of like this weird feel about not weird but it's it's very unique it's very unique Um, also it has some hp lovecraft ties it tie-ins there's a little bit of the 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 kind of the the elder god and the demon style that tied Mm. into it very interesting very interesting yeah demon souls is really really cool i was so frustrated the thing with demon souls that's so frustrating for me is you literally start out the first thing right out the gate i mean aside from the tutorial which like is everybody pretty much dies to unless your suits here can get through the tutorial boss without dying um but it's bulletarian palace starting off right out the gate at bulletarian palace is like one of the roughest just it's it's a it's hard brutal. it's brutal it's it's, it's huge yeah it's huge and, and you get one shortcut which barely matters and then you unlock the second shortcut which again 
that shortcut really doesn't matter at all. <laughs> like the, the shortcut to the right, as soon as you get to the boss door, that shortcut, you'll never go through that door again. Yeah. Ever. That's literally just, well, you're here now. We have to let you not make you backtrack all the way. But it, it, it's rough. And then after you finally beat the boss and you go back to the Nexus, go talk to the Monumental. What? <laughs> right. It's very vague. And they don't ever talk about, um, what is it? The, the black eye and the, the white eye. The, so the, like the tendency, they never talk about world tendency and never. they never talk about character tendency, which is an entirely separate thing that also impacts your gameplay. So there's, and then if you're online world tendency is tied to the aggregate world tendency of all people online. And these things just aren't discussed unless you're go down to the the hall of tutorial which no mm. one goes down in the nexus and yeah. just yeah super convoluted would you there's say there's a reason why that wasn't done again would you say that's like as much as we both love from software and their games and miyazaki and all that do you think that's just bad game design in a way for the initial part it was a good concept yeah because no one had done that before bad game design yes because it it breaks without educating you it breaks things that you would have never ever known if there was like a blurb that or like some quest dialogue that the maiden gave you or even the monumental gave you about uh the worlds can darken and even some convoluted stuff like that or that maybe sent you down the path of, hey, look at world tendency guy. It, if that was in there, then I would have much more, I'd be much more tolerant of that design. But having nothing, I, I'm a bit miffed at that. And yeah. I, whenever I know someone's going to play Demon Souls, I have a phone call with them like, hey, there's this mechanic. I know you don't want spoilers. But you, this this is super important because you can destroy your gameplay if you don't know this mechanic. Go kill yourself in the Nexus every time you're in soul, body form. Only play in soul form. And they're like, why? I'm like, because this weird mechanic that's never explained. And, and then everyone thanks me afterwards when they out <laughs> and for the love yeah. of everything the moment what is it the cling ring in boletarian palace oh for yes. the love of everything make your life easy and just spend your entire first hour trying to find it <laughs> that. it's it's oh. yeah like i i felt that a lot going from i feel like i might have made the toughest leap with the souls game because i went from the first one i ever played was bloodborne which mm -hmm. is very it's definitely souls like in so many ways but it's very different than dark souls like there's no shield mechanic that's it's you know just the the stats are similar but like different in ways it's very different kind of beast but demon souls is almost like an even weirder version of dark souls so, so i went from bloodborne to demon souls and it just took it took me like a week or week and a half and i was like nothing is clicking was, for me i'm so frustrated up old terry palace i got us i was there man i remember <laughs> i remember like i'm out of souls everything i own is broke i got no grass <laughs> yeah it's just oh and there's nothing anyone can do to help you until you beat that first boss nothing you're on it alone. You can't level up. Nothing. Right. 
The one benefit though for dying 10,000 times in the very first level is I had a whole crap ton of those fire bombs and those are very <laughs> handy for the first boss. But and and the the other thing they don't quite explain is the fact that each one of these places while you can start at like 111 and just kind of go to the very end aside from like the first world for spoiler reasons um it's best to actually go 11 and then 21 and like mm -hmm. 31 and 4151 and then go like 122232 but again nothing ever <laughs> explained so but i feel like that's i wouldn't even call that specifically bad design that one's just more mm -hmm. of a the level gets harder the deeper you go and it's just mm -hmm. you can pick your own kind of adventure in that way you know well and uh, yeah i'm okay with that because like if it's too hard try something else exactly exactly that's something these games are so good at like they're so good at just putting I, I love how they how in Dark Souls and Bloodborne they've all done this they'll put these like really strong enemies right at the very start of the game like like the ogre in Bloodborne like when you are in Central Yarnum you could challenge him right away but you're probably going to die so many times like right out the gate they're almost intended for you to come back at a later point when you have beefed up weapons and more levels and then you can you learn what parrying is you learn what backstabs and viscerals are so many little things that i found in these games just like it adds to the replayability these games are so replayable it's so true and like on that like bloodborne i think has the best one you 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 spawn in the clinic you kill you kill the werewolf you're staying in the courtyard and you hear heavy footsteps and breathing and it's just it's an executioner on the other side of the wall waiting for you to go fight that can give you a gem but you can't use the gym until you kill gas coin anyway just tempting you like hey hey you can fight me you can fight me if you want exactly try it <laughs> you know um so going playing through bloodborne and first souls game ever after i was done with it i played a little bit offline um kind of in between it a final fantasy 7 remake um and i don't know if have you played final fantasy or like any of them by any chance I have played every numbered Final Fantasy up to Final Fantasy VII Remake. Nice. Hell yeah. So we got a Final Fantasy veteran as well, my friend. But one thing I immediately noticed, and I, I'm almost calling it like the curse of Soulsborne, is playing through Final Fantasy VII Remake. There were so many things that were starting to bug me that would have never bugged me before of so mm -hmm. many hand holdings or items being given to me left and right or like benches to heal at like every couple steps and I'm like or tutorials for literally every single thing and I'm like I, I've just been cursed <laughs> you've just been cursed by the Soulsborne and you're like I mean maybe Soulsborne goes a little too far and no tutorials no info nothing sometimes but you just after playing it you start to notice it in everything <laughs> right and then and the combat in all these other games gets so mundane compared like, to soulsborns like i went back and played a bit of horizon zero dawn and a bit of final fantasy 15 i'm like uh square 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 square, square. yeah square square <laughs> i'm like i want my r1 into a circle into an r2 <laughs> like I, I want that I'm missing that. 
the only other game I can think of, and I haven't played, I'm not like, I don't have a deep library of games I've played, but the only other one that comes to my head that is maybe not even as good as Bloodborne, but I would say pretty close would be God of War. The 2018 God of War was just, the gameplay was maybe not quite up to Bloodborne level, but it's really close. It's so good. I have dabbled in that. I need to jump in again. I need to jump in again. I got like, I beat the tutorial basically, and then stopped playing it. Isn't it so interesting why we just like end up stop playing games for whatever I, reason? I, and what's sad about that is like, I, I'm a huge God of War fan. I've beaten all the game. Like, I, like I've beaten Chains of Olympus. I had my PS2 with God of War 1, God of War 2. I played God of War 3 on my PS3. I mean, I've played the God of War game, except this one. And it's and it, it, part of it is such a far cry of what the other ones were. So it's, it's different. It was, yeah, it wasn't what I expected. I do want to go back though, because it looks like an amazing game. And I'm happy that they kind of reinvigorated the concept of Kratos into the the PS4 generation with the new God of War. And I think it's going to be a great thing for many games to come for Sony and for Kratos. You know, when I first got God of War, I pre-ordered it. I was so excited for it. And then I did the same thing. I think I played five, six, seven hours of it, like just the very beginnings of it. And then I just ended up stop i just stopped playing it and i don't really recall why aside from i was like this doesn't really feel like god of war it's like a it's almost kind of like a different thing than what i was expecting and then i ended up going back like a year or so later i, I played breath of the wild and god of war for like the first time each back to back so i got super spoiled um but yeah it was it was just such an amazing experience I, I feel like a lot of games are kind of doing this camera behind the back feel you know mm -hmm. that's just kind of the new thing with so many games are you a fan of that style i i i like it and uh, personally i'm not a fan of like fps i know mm. i just talked about uh, i just talked about call of duty a little bit ago but generally i'm not a fan of fps so i i am very okay with that that style because i like the little more awareness of my surroundings I recently was playing Doom Eternal and I know you were, we were talking about it a couple days ago and that's the first time I've played an FPS in years like really mm -hmm. years and it was it felt honestly especially that game it's so incredibly fast-paced it felt like sensory overload I'm not gonna lie I was like playing through it and then of course when you're streaming you got to keep an eye on chat and and raids mm -hmm. and follows and all that stuff so oh man it there was there was a moment where i'm streaming and i'm just like this is this is a little too much for my head there's so much going on right now <laughs> but you're so it's so right like when you're first person playing a first person shooter game or just an fps in general it's 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 just a different kind of look field of view experience it feels so much more like in your face almost and i guess that's the point of it but yeah when you play like some of these third person games you just get that more awareness can rotate spin the camera around and it's very interesting how we just kind of start to gravitate towards different styles of gameplays you know like some people love the uh the 2d side scrollers have you played many of those oh yes many 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 metroid I have played every single 2D scroller Metroid ever. Are you excited for I Dread? Actually, 
<sighs> so excited. I am so excited for Dread. Like, I, I have... I, I love Bloodborne. Super Metroid is my one game above Bloodborne. I've beaten wow. Bloodborne over a hundred times. I've beaten Super Metroid over a thousand times. What? Not kidding. Holy crap. Over a thousand times I have beaten Super Metroid. How does one do that? I mean, how fast can you it's, beat it? I, 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 no, I am nowhere close to what I used to be, but my uh, like I would be able to run the game easily in under an hour. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. Is there just like you can start off on the game, get something and you get like because I'm thinking of maybe like Super Mario, how you can go down the tunnel in the first world and get to like world seven. And you're is it similar to that? Not at all. Not at all. It's 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 all about the efficiency of your pathing. Mm. So you really only go through an area once and sure you, you get everything. skip. Right. And you skip the bonus areas that you don't need. So you only need like four energy tanks and like 35 missiles to finish the whole game when in reality you can get i think it's like 18 energy tanks and uh 200 missiles that you could get but you don't need all of it i've never really played metroid but i know so many people say it's like you gotta play it the other one i've never played is castlevania but everyone says castlevania <sighs> is also just magnificent if you're going to do Castlevania, do Symphony of the Night. Yes. If you're going to do Metroid, <laughs> do Super Metroid. Because, oh my gosh. Also, the Super Metroid fan base is a... I found to be a pretty cool group of people. The fan base, especially when it comes to streaming on Twitch, like, the fan bases can totally make or break it. Oh, um, yes. I, I've always kind of wanted to do... As, as fun as it is to mock, like, I've always thought it'd be cool to do a battle royale stream of like i don't know i don't fortnite maybe but i just always think the idea of like getting friends together in like an arena and just mm -hmm. having a gladiator like last person standing wins kind of thing is is so cool but i don't know the the, the fan bases you know sometimes of, of games like fortnite just kind of i don't know if i could do it but uh, but a lot of people have been saying apex legends have you ever played apex i have i have I'll actually one of my employees that little side note one of my employees streams apex legends and that was an awkward conversation <laughs> when i find out that i have multiple employees that also are twitch affiliates no way <laughs> so we actually have like little like we'll go to lunch together and we'll say hey so twitch 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 lighting camera uh, plugins, OBS. So it, we get on this whole different tangent <laughs> that they get to talk with their boss. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, that's super. But super yeah, cool. I've done Apex. I have done Apex Legends a couple times. Again, I don't play my many FPS, but it is fun. Yeah, that one's probably the one battle royale I, I would love to play for sure. I, one of my favorite things that I've seen, and I did want to talk to you about this. I seen. I thought. I think it was my friends, Delinquent Ghost and Much Manga they were doing like she was playing dark souls one for the very first time and he's like a dark souls powerhouse veteran and was doing like a co-op stream where they were both playing i think it was is it pve is that the term for it where you're like an ally with each other and going through the yes. game and yes that, that was super super cool have you ever thought about doing that with anyone didn't decoy manta and mr dandy do that as well i think they did they did that i would they wanted to do we very weird builds on specific weapons so 
I actually consulted with them and said, hey, what weapon do you want? Here's the steps you need to do to get to that weapon as early as possible and use custom chalice dungeons to get unlock these certain things so you can play with these unique weapons and do a co-op playthrough. Mm -hmm. So that was, they did that. I've been, I would love to do that with someone where I walk someone through the game. I have, I'm asking my wife very ki kindly, which I'm expecting her to say no, if she'd be willing to do Bloodborne and I sit next to her for the whole thing. Dude, that would be wildly cool. That would be awesome. Would you stream on Suits channel or on Skirt's channel? I would leave that up to her because it's really her doing the dedication. Yes. I'd be happy. I would be super happy to stream it. But again, I would make it her decision. Would you want, could you do like a, a co-op? I mean, you'd probably, you probably have a PS4 and PS5, right? I only have a PS5 now. My hmm. story, my, my cousin uh who has six children doesn't have a console so i said hey man i have a ps5 here's a ps4 pro so i now only have a ps5 that is definitely best cousin material right there <laughs> <laughs> love him to death he's a great guy dude that is a really cool idea though i think those those ways of playing these games i mean because aside from mostly what I play is first playthroughs, like I play a game mm -hmm. I've never played before, play through it and then move on to the next one, which is fun. But it's always fun to see people take those games and think like, I mean, you could play Dark Souls 1 new game plus 500 for the millionth time, you know, but like playing it in in a way that's different, whether it's co-oping with somebody or doing like a, a weapon only run or just taking these these steps, these rules for yourself that just add more flavor to it, you know? It's a fun way of doing it. Do you have plans? I love it. Do you have plans for like another Bloodborne weapon only run or? Oh, yes. What's coming yes, up? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so uh, when I do, when I get back to the weapon only, right now I'm doing, it's a first play of Sekiro that I'm going yeah. through right now. So experiencing this beautiful From Software game for the first time. But I, I usually put a poll up on in my Discord and on Twitter and say, hey, here's these weapons that I haven't done yet. Pick one, guys. And so once they pick one, I go make the save file, get it ready, and then line up the next couple streams of us to go through the weapon together. So yes, they will definitely start again soon. But that's after I, uh, I wanted to take a break from Bloodborne after doing the deathless run because that was that was a grind that was yeah. fun it was a blast and being able to say that i've done it is amazing but i wanted to take a break from the just it the stress of going through a challenge run is it's sweaty palms it's not a, sweaty palms like you can feel your like heart beating Closer you, you, you get. get to the yeah you, you get closer and closer and it didn't help that my bar was set so high like my first run through the entire game i, I died three times wow. so it was i had i had this tiny number to start showing progress on <laughs> so it was uh it, that didn't help that much so on the deathless run and so two-part question on the deathless run who was the most consistently difficult boss that if you really weren't paying attention, you could easily die to? I would say maybe Shadows of Yarnum, pretty tough. Shadow Shadows never gave me a hard time. Really? Because 
well, they're all their attacks are really simple, and it all comes down to spacing to yes. solve. And so then I just had a kill order where I'd go through, like I'd kill this one, this one, this one, and just focus each one down. And it would progressively get easier as the fight went along. And you could in, you could basically, if you time it correctly, you can skip phase three completely. Just and go I've, and ham I, on them. In, in all my challenge runs that I had, I experienced phase three once. Wow. One single time I experienced um, phase three. Yeah, the snakes. That that's part. That is the phase three signature right there. It would have to be either Mikalash, because yeah, Mikalash is just that has so many weird things, and I've I died the call a lot beyond of time. attack, right? It's the the call beyond attack triggering when you're not even properly in the room yet was one death I had. What? Yeah, what? <laughs> I'm like I'm falling. Call beyond happens. I land in the wrong spot and I just get nuked. Oh no. Uh, oh, it, it's just like, well, that happened. Uh, run over. Um, <laughs> then the other one is that actually that gave me a hard time is actually one reborn. Because remember, I'm going through this at a lower level. And if I if I didn't make sure my positioning was perfect with one reborn, I could you. easily yeah, easily squash me. Or even if I break a limb when I'm in certain spots, I can get trapped. So mm. I can't go anywhere and then get killed instantly. Uh, so aside from the no deathless run, if we're including all the bloodborne bosses, then who do you think is the most difficult? Oh, it would either be orphan of cause or Lawrence. I would definitely say Lawrence. Like I've, I've played bloodborne now three times. That's very shy mm -hmm. of hundreds like yourself, King. Um, but the, the times I've played it, like I haven't really struggled too much with Orphan. He's kind of been like a really fun dance. The second phase can be pretty all over the place, but it's definitely felt for me like a pretty solid dance. Lawrence is just a pain in the freaking ass. I hate fighting Lawrence. I almost on my second time was like, you know what? I'm just going to skip Lawrence. That was the only boss I hadn't defeated. I'm just going to go straight to Garman. Or I mean, whoever's at the end. <laughs> um and then i just took a couple days off from it and ended up like finishing him next time but yeah lawrence is a pain in the ass so question for you have you ever thought about doing a weird build for one of your runs or doing like a crazy under leveled build for anything for bloodborne i want to do a soul level four i i definitely want to do that one of these days um on my second playthrough and my third playthrough, I only used a single weapon on both of them. Mm -hmm. So the second one, I used just the Holy Blade. And the third one, I'm I used the Chikage. Chikage? Mm -hmm. And that one was actually really tough. That was a tough weapon to use because you can't apply light, like the bolt or fire paper to it, and it's not nope. serrated at all. So that was a really tough weapon to use against Lawrence and... Um, yeah, that, that one was a toughie it was fun and i'm doing that now on my i'm playing dark souls one again off stream and i'm actually almost at the end of it but i've been using the chaos blade and same exact Ooh. thing really fun to use really hits hits hard and is like a good weapon but the fact that it's not you can't apply fire paper or like the lightning paper or anything to it just makes it really tough in those situations where you normally would apply it you know um, i do they're really really fun weapons and it's fun like the 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 dexterity fights are like so much 
different than just yeah. having a massive Zweihander just slam down every enemy in front of you. <laughs> Out of all the Soulsborne games, because you haven't beaten Sekiro yet, right? I have not. So, but I'm super close. Of all the bosses you fought in all the games, which one do you think is like truly the most difficult for you? So I, I have quit. I quit Bloodborne twice in my playthrough. On my on my road to platinum, I quit it twice. Oh, Once was Bloodstarved Beast because I did again. I didn't know what I was doing, and I was definitely not doing it right. And Bloodstarved Beast is like it's a skill check. It is an absolute skill check. And it's your first time to deal with poison or like resistances and you're having more things that you're juggling. So whenever someone says I had trouble with Blood Star, he's like, I was there with you. I feel you. <laughs> the, 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 the hardest boss for me in all of Bloodborne, which now just isn't a problem at all for me, is uh, the Defiled Amygdala. Mm. So the Amygdala in the Defiled Chalice where your HP is at half and you're trying to fight this thing that every time it hits you, you have to use two blood vials. Yeah, it just hits like a tank. Oh gosh, hits so hard. And there's a couple one-shot moves that it has, but it's, and it's contradictory to every single Bloodborne boss you fought till that point, because aggression is the answer in so many cases with Bloodborne. Amygdala, it's all about patience and punishment and, and just, those little bits of reward that you're chipping away and just timing out the boss. You cannot brute force Amygdala. It and is, even more so then. Is the Defiled Amygdala? Because I haven't fought in that one in the Chalice Dungeons. Unfortunately, I haven't really explored the Chalice Dungeons too much. Um, but is the move set the same as the regular? 100% the same as the regular. Hmm. When I was But a much smaller arena. Oh, right. Because the Chalice Dungeon rooms are pretty tiny. Mm -hmm. When I was doing the Chicago uh, run, I was struggling with with Amygdala a lot on that one. That one literally took me and it, I think it was new game plus two at that point. So they were tougher bosses, had more health and everything. And I must have fought Amygdala like 30 plus times. I was really struggling because I couldn't use lightning paper, the bolt paper mm -hmm. and the the Chicago like it doesn't have that overhead swing so like right. too much so it's it, a lot of times like when i was playing on my first and second playthrough you just go straight for the head when you know she kind of falls down a little bit but you can't really do that um so that was a really really tough one yeah having doing those weapon only runs is it's it's so much fun because you get to use a weapon you wouldn't maybe normally use but it's tough because there's just some weapons that just work better for some enemies and the games are designed for you to have two or three or four that you kind of swap in between depending on the enemy and if you're like just brute forcing a boss with a weapon that isn't best for it it can be a struggle boss oh so and so you did uh for your playthroughs you did them all in the same character so you didn't do a custom build i did not for each of those weapons oh oh okay yeah yeah that'll that'll make a chikage run hard <laughs> it was it, but it was fun it was a lot of fun and it was because i did that that i wanted to do the chaos blade in dark souls one because i was it was i don't know it's so much different than the zweihander or the holy blade that just smacks down everything in its face um, I'm kind of struggling a little bit, honestly, with Dark Souls 2, because I feel like I haven't quite found the weapon that clicks yet, 
like saw cleaver was easy in bloodborne why hander was like an right away in dark souls one but i just haven't found that like like i don't know what to use you know it's weird so here's when i was playing dark souls 2 like i went through for oh i forget it was i think it was just called great sword and yeah. there were some bosses that i just could not touch with the great sword slow and it, slow is not the way for dark souls 2 so getting a little speedy weapon has seemed to do the best for me in dark souls 2 also dark souls 2 has such a different engine the interaction, the timing, the pacing, everything is so different in Dark Souls 2 that it it's you can't go into it saying, okay, it's another Souls game. It, it's like it feels entirely different. I totally agree. I've 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 talked a couple times before, like it almost feels more like a Demon Souls 2 than it does mm -hmm. feel like a Dark Souls 2, aside from the world tendency stuff that side of it but it's the way the health just like slowly deteriorates down is very demon souls-esque it really is and the the other thing with the engine itself which props on them for making the engine just the you in all the other souls games you lock on you attack your attack is going to go where that lock on it demons not demon souls dark souls 2 that's not case. the case at all at all and learning to play around that made the biggest difference in my playthrough it's dark souls 2 is not a game i really ever want to go back to it's not a game i want to platinum all the other from software games i have played i want to go back to i want platinum you know i can really feel the the I, like i know miyazaki was involved with dark souls 2 i know he had his hands in it but he was very much focused on bloodborne when he was like that was his 90 95 percent of his attention was on that and it it can you can really see it it almost feels more of like dark souls 1 mixed with a skyrim world than it does mm -hmm. like a dark souls world because like right away i mean the Majula's beautiful like the areas are cool like i, I think Majula it's a, music yeah same with so same with like firelink uh firelink shrine like in dark souls one like there's something about just going to an area and hearing distinctive music for that area that is i love so much and i really that's that's probably the one thing that keeps bloodborne and all these games from being like a perfect 10 out of 10 for me is coming from the final fantasy side of things and zelda side of things when you come to like a new area there's like distinctive music that plays when you're in that area there's distinctive you know just like cutscenes. there's a lot of cutscenes in these games a lot of story focused moments in them and these games don't really have that as much like i really wish there was a a central yarnum theme that would play and then you move on to like the the hemwick charnel and there's like a hemwick theme that would play or like a cathedral ward theme that would play i feel like that'd be so cool but they save the music for the bosses and and it's amazing music but i always it's, a, it's phenomenal it is it's so good but i always found when i was fighting these like i was never paying attention to the music because i was just trying to not get hit by the bosses <laughs> you, like in my deathless runs i actually just muted the music like everyone knows what the songs are yeah and i'm grinding this out this is going to be you're going to hear gas coins theme <laughs> over and over Might be the and best over one. so it's a good one, but 
There's only so many times you can hear Gascoin's theme in a single stream, because believe me, I've had a few streams where I, I had to be Gascoin yeah. time. So it was all just mute the music, lo-fi, let's go. And, and the juxtaposition of having the, like, the low, the lo-fi kind of underlying. in the background. Yeah, just going. Like hacking. And, and there's just violent displays on the screen. It's a lot, it's kind of fun. And then you see like the visceral backstab and you're like, oh yeah. And then just this chill lo-fi in the background. Yeah, exactly. Do you feel kind of that way that these games could benefit from having like more music spurs throughout them? Because I have heard some people argue against it that having that displacement of music means that when you actually hear it, it's more impactful. And then also that silence gives like an airiness to the world that it, like it's so it's a dead world you know how do you kind of a, feel about that for for these games not like for all the other games that have the music yes absolutely but for the souls games in particular the ambiance that you get by immersing yourself entirely in the world where all the sounds you hear you know where they're coming from like you'll hear footsteps on stairs or rustling in the grass or moaning in the background. And it's all placed in this soundstage that brings you into the world that if you had music playing over that, that'd be gone because you'd be hearing the music. So I, I with like specifically Bloodborne, because Bloodborne is just has the thickest ambiance of all the games. Specifically with Bloodborne, I, I think especially for first playthroughs, not having that music does so much to your immersion and so much for you just receiving what this world is offering to you and the, the intricacy that is still hidden there that just it adds a depth by being adding the silence. It's so unusual. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. One thing I know we talked about earlier when we we're talking about the idea of if there could ever be a Bloodborne 2, that Miyazaki's kind of against that and likes to do like individual projects in a masterful way and then kind of move on to the next thing. It really reminds me a bit of like Final Fantasy games in the sense of how, at least how they used to be like years ago back in the day, how you'd have Final Fantasy 6. It was a masterpiece of a game, but they were not going to do a sequel because they were already moving on to seven. They released seven masterpiece of a game. They're not going to do anything else because they're already moving on to eight. And I I'm like split minded about that because while I, it would be so cool to get more Bloodborne lore, lore, lore <laughs> Bloodborne lore and kind of get more character backstory on like Wilhelm or Lawrence and all of these characters. The other part of me, though, is just I got to respect it from like an artist perspective. Like they created a masterpiece and then you just let it be, let it age like a fine wine and just move on to the next project. That's such a, it's so hard to do that, you know, cause it's so easy to just cash out for them to be like, you made a masterpiece. Here's all the money. Here's all the resources. Make your next Bloodborne 2 masterpiece. Do whatever you want. And it's gotta be so tempting, but from his artist perspective, he's, like how he shuts it out it's it's very respectful you know if there is a bloodborne 2 there are there are facets in the lore that are left unexplored to the point that they could easily make a sequel with enough just content but yeah leaving that behind i can i totally respect it no matter how much i don't like it. 
<laughs> right i want more you all want more yeah and i'm yeah so kind of stemming off that we are getting more in a different way what are your thoughts and feelings on elden ring so far suits oh my gosh so i've been on the elden ring train since e3 2019 yeah i've been like religiously following it i i, I am not one of the people that went hollow i will say <laughs> but i have i have lived on that elden ring reddit just like what has come out what has come out just anything nothing okay elden ring is such a i think a true it's a genius piece to take on intricacies from norse lore and then drastically make it into what this concept that george rr R. martin and uh not almost went the wrong way and what miyazaki have imagined into this beautiful lore and seeing how deep they can take it um being a new ip also excites me because the freedom that they have with it being a new intellectual property there's no there's no boundary on how deep this is going to go or where they're going to take it makes me really excited the their implementation of open world i'm a little nervous about um it's a new concept it's an entirely new way of making a video game for them that i'm a little nervous about that to see how that implementation happens and I'm still gonna I'm still gonna play it as soon as it comes out. I'm still super excited about it. I'm planning to take days off work to play it. Yeah. But I am yeah, I'm really excited, yet I'm not sold that it's going to be the next great masterpiece that Bloodborne, Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls 3 are. Do you th I have a theory that because that that white tree is very prominent in the entire world of Elden Ring. I almost have a theory that that's somehow going to be connected to like a final boss in a way. That's you're going to have maybe. Do you have any theories about what it could be? Uh, the only theory I have, and, and uh, like it's it's not much of a theory, is that it's spawned from Yggdrasil and the amount of lore tied to y Yggdrasil in Norse just Norse mythology has so many important events tied to that tree that I expect it to be a recurring theme in the stories of the many bosses that we face and regarding go ahead have they mentioned specifically that it's going to be based and influenced from Norse mythology specifically that has been mentioned specifically I think it was in an interview with George R.R. R. Martin gotcha. there's if you if you want to know more Miyazaki did an interview. I'll send you the video. And that interview answers so many questions that many people had about what Elden Ring is and what the plans are that the trailer and the other interviews just have not answered. Mm. When I first saw the trailer the other day, it's so Miyazaki just has an art style that is so unique and almost like nightmarish in the best way mm -hmm. possible. Cause every single, like, of course it says from software, everything right at the beginning. So you know that it's Elden Ring right from the, from the gate, but the enemies and the bosses, and they're just like straight out of a nightmare that he was able to remember and write down when he woke up. Cause there, you can just see the dark souls one influence. You can see the bloodborne influence and just everything from it, but it has its own unique style in the, in, I'm I'm incredibly excited for it, honestly. Uh, 
I am too. I, I cannot wait to see what they've done. Cannot wait. How did you like, did you use a lot of magic when you were playing through Dark Souls, Bloodborne, kind of like through those games? Were you a pretty big magic user? Not so much. I usually went the, tri the tried and true sword and board when I went into the games. Demon Souls, I did do magic because I heard magic was the easy mode. I thought, you know what, I'm just, I'm going, I got the game, I'm going for platinum. I need to collect all the spells. I'm going to go ahead and do magic my first playthrough. Nice. Which, by the way, anyone, magic is easy mode for Demon Souls. If you want to make it easy, go play magic. I've heard pyromancy is the same for Dark Souls 1, right? I've, I've heard that too. I've never done a pyromancy playthrough in Dark Souls. It makes sense. There's a few bosses that I, I don't even know how you fight with pyromancy because there's there's an entire fire section. Oh, like the centipede the, demon and stuff like that? It, it, right, or ceaseless discharge without cheesing. <laughs> how would you... How, I, like, I don't know how you would fight that with just pyromancy. Yeah. That whole area, just bad of chaos, bad of chaos, yes. bad of chaos. You know, um, <laughs> I, 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 I kind of got lucky my first time playing through DS1 because like, I, I think I took down bed of chaos in like three or four tries. So it wasn't mm -hmm. that bad, but yeah, on, on, I think my second playthrough of it now, it's, it's taken me like 20 times because every time I just come down the, the tunnel and land just immediately that arm tree branch swipes me to death and it's like i literally didn't do anything i didn't even get a roll <laughs> it was just land swipe death and someone was saying that miyazaki even directly said like a, or apologized for bed of chaos <laughs> have you heard of that i have and yeah it's it's one of the worst bosses ever made for a souls game in my opinion <laughs> yeah there's not... it's not really a boss it's not it's like it's just a puzzle and mm -hmm. I, it kind of feels like the dragon from demon souls like there's so much build up for it especially in demon souls like that dragon's on the box art and, and it's in the trailers it's iconic and then you get to the boss and it's it's such a letdown <laughs> yeah really you don't have to have any skill you could run through there naked and get there i mean it's there's nothing about that like anyone anyone you could just equip a sword go through there naked and it really isn't a hard thing it's just you you go when you're supposed to go it's it was a letdown so speaking of i like, did go i did did go through the dragon god blind and yeah. took me a little bit to figure out i will say oh the red light green light kind of mechanic mm -hmm. i did took me a bit to figure that out so, that is one of the two bosses that killed me in my demon soul playthrough what was the other one man eaters oh man eaters oh my god even <laughs> the like, name yeah. <laughs> did you ever struggle with flame lurker nope first try yeah i didn't struggle either i think i got flame lurker like second try but flame lurker is like a lot of people say in the league of man eater like a very difficult boss and it, it makes sense because especially at the time most bosses in the game are gimmicky there's a gimmick mm. to them you play the gimmick you win Flame, flame a real boss. The flame lurker, like, it's get good, son. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. I felt that a lot with Demon Souls, especially coming from Bloodborne, where like almost every boss is 
amazing 10 out of 10 like incredible coming to demon souls it felt like the the areas of getting to the boss were the toughest part and then it's, al it's almost like a reward when you get to the boss because it's like here's an enemy that you can very they're super slow they have these huge wind up build up attacks and yeah they're they're very easy to take down for sure in, in the talk of worst bosses in the soulsborne games do you have a favorite from the Soulsborne games that you always look forward to fighting? Lady Maria. Yes. Always, always yes. Lady Maria. If I like that, just at the top of my list every single time, Lady Maria has been my most enjoyable Soulsborne boss I have ever fought. There needs to be like a boss. I don't know, like a boss arena where once you defeat the bosses, you can just go in and be like, I want to fight Lady Maria or cause or insert any boss here father gascoigne and it'd be cool to just like pick the bosses and fight them because that's like the best part of these games are the bosses and to be able to go through and just boss arena them would be awesome that was actually a concept that they planned to do boss rush modes in bloodborne that in the code exists uh what lost chalice dungeons for boss rush where you beat a boss the door opens there's another boss room good luck no oh, replenishing, no resting, just Ooh. go boss, 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 boss. I, and it's a cool concept, but it sadly was scrapped for the final mm. version of Bloodborne. That's a shame. There's a lot of really cool cut content from Bloodborne that has been restored, or there's some references of it, including like um, Master Willem was a boss in the alpha. What? Yeah, Master Willem was a boss in the alpha instead of rom for that area Ooh, that's really cool do you, do you like rom as a boss actually it was actually watching your stream of the deathless run where you use the beast blood pellet and then like punch rom to build up your gauge immediately after that i lit like later that night when i was playing bloodborne i was at um that area of the game i i legitimately started trying that <laughs> it works it does good damage it does great damage, and I've timed it a couple times. I, I I never got really good at it. I didn't I didn't fight Rom enough in my my runs to master it. But there's a way to single phase her with that, where you what? just like she never teleports, she just dies. Wow! And whenever that happens, it it feels great when that Those because then the it's over, and you don't have to worry about things. Those spiders are so annoying. Do you usually go? Is your strategy to take out the spiders one at a time and then go for Rom or just kind of weave around them and try to get some hits in at Rom? For Deathless, phase one, kill spiders, face Rom. Mm. Uh, phase two, three, run in, hit, hit, run, run out. out. Gotcha, gotcha. Because the, I usually am able to skip phase two. So now there's 24 spiders there and arcane aerial attacks coming in at you and you have 24 spiders all trying to jump you i, I don't want to deal with that yeah it's just it's all about being on the move so they can't ever actually get to you and just chipping away at the last bit of health on rom do you struggle with the the aerial attacks coming at you or have you gotten pretty good at like dodging them i'm really good at dodging them now because there's actual there's auditory cues when they're going to happen yeah. and if you watch rom it's really easy the tells are really clear on rom for knowing what type of attack is happening because 
you're far enough away, there's only one attack that she'll do. It's the aerial attack. I struggled with Rom a lot on my first playthrough. Do not blame you at all. That <laughs> Rom is a hard boss. Rom has the best lore, in my opinion, or some of the best lore, in my opinion, of all the bosses in Bloodborne. Rom wasn't an actual great one, right? Rom was... Uh... No. Sorry. Rom was once a student of the, the College of Bergenworth and then at, was on the team that did the discovery of Abritus, Ebriatus, Ebritus, however you want to say it, because it's never said in game. Um, and Ebritus uh, turned Rom into a great one to hide the, basically hide what the moon presence was doing to the world and shield the world from what was reality and what terrors that lie beyond what was in Yarhargul and hide what like, the, the terrors that the, the College of Bergenworth had discovered. So if you notice in uh, Bergenworth, the bridge just stops right. and goes into the lake. What would have been on the other side of that bridge? Oh, what would be? The lecture building. The lecture building was once part of the College of Bergenworth and is now hidden away in a nightmare. And that's where, where that bridge was leading to. Wow. I don't know if I ever realized that. That's very interesting. Also, if you're in the College of Bergenworth, another little hidden thing left over from early, early lore is... On the first floor, you'll see a trap door that never opens. It's just there's a closed trap door there. It's theorized, not 100% not verified, theorized that that was where they started to research the Chalice Dungeons was from that point. Interesting. Like that was kind of what kicked it off? Mm-hmm. It, it was the College of Bergenworth that initially discovered like the existence of these ancient beings and the rituals around the chalices and then it was the church who took that sorry church who took that made it into a religion and then shunned the college of learning because they were into studying and not being reverent of these things do you think there's any specific reason as to why they wanted rom to hide the because essentially what rom is doing is hiding the cosmic horrors of the world from the general population right I, I think it's more of a fact that uh, Abritus was kind of cares for those around her. Trying to help humans. Yes. From this massive thing that's beyond human comprehension, understanding, or even like it's just on a different scale. So why, why make us worry about it? That makes me feel even more terrible running up to Abritus while she's just snoozing and then just going for like a backstab and just starting whacking her. Oh, it's you, you're going to feel even worse. Have you ever looked what she's snoozing in front of? The It's like a stone rom sculpture thing, right? Is it a sculpture or is it the remains of? Is it the remains of Rom from when you killed Rom? Is she mourning over the remains of basically her child that you slaughtered. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm man. looking forward to doing a lore playthrough, by the way. I, I am I I have two hundred plus pages of content that wow. I am slow slowly ciphering through and positioning in ways where I will play the game start to finish, including DLC, and like here are my talking points. I need to make sure I talk about all these things. 
If I need verbiage, here's the verbiage I'm going to read to chat and then break that down into a mini series that I plan to put on YouTube eventually. Dude, that would be really, really cool. I, I think that could give Vatsy Vidya a run for a money, honestly. <laughs> I don't have his voice, but man, I'll, I'll try. <laughs> he does have that voice. He has that oh. like the school of Bergenworth. <laughs> so perfect, too. It, it is. Do you think I think honestly, I haven't played a lot of DLCs in video games, but of the DLCs I've played, the Bloodborne DLC is arguably the best I've ever played. It's so good. And at, so good. At first, it starts out like when I first was playing it, it almost was like, are they just reskinning the Grand Cathedral? That's kind of like a cheap way to go. But like after 10% into it, you're like, whoa, what are we getting into? And then the, yeah, the it's Blood River, the Blood River with Ludwig is so like morbid. There's so that's the whole thing with this game. There's so many things like you can just kill something and kind of move along. But if you like stop and look and think and observe the area you're in the hospital especially the patients of the hospital it's so, so morbid but it's like mm -hmm. something maybe only Miyazaki could ever do and that's just what makes him such a a dark nightmarish genius in that way you mm -hmm. know absolutely it's a big reason why I'm really still in, like just really enjoying the demon souls and dark souls because it's just such a you can see it you can see it in the boss designs like even in things like you know as crap as bed of chaos is as a boss the whole backstory of bed of chaos the whole design of bed of chaos is really really cool the design of seat the design of the four kings is really mm -hmm. really cool i mean ons is probably my fa favorite or maybe not favorite, but like hardest boss of like ever fought in a video game and absolutely one of my favorites. They're so, so much fun. The arena, the music, the way they perfectly complement each other. There's just so many little things that they do in these games that have really just brought out this love that I never, I don't know if I could ever think like a series could match Final Fantasy for like favorite series of all time, but like the Souls games are are definitely like probably number two at this point and really climbing up there so they're special they, they are. are truly special i get it i get why people like them i get why people are like these insanely brutal tough games are so much fun and i'm addicted <laughs> and honestly like i feel like a big part of that too honestly through this journey playing them has been you specifically like you've been oh, thank you so helpful and and just encouraging and the soulsborne community on twitch especially for such a brutal dark twisted game genre the people who like play these games and love these games and live for these games are like some of the best people i've ever met and they're so encouraging and helpful and a lot of them are really good about not giving any tips or just kind of letting people explore and then if they're getting frustrated then they'll offer tips so um i just want to say big thank you for my own personal journey through them it's you've been an awesome awesome friend to ha share this experience with been my pleasure i it's been a joy getting into twitch and being able to be part of this wonderful soulsborn com uh, community and you're one of the catalysts for me man dude i i appreciate it so much like truly streaming on twitch the best part about all of it is is the people and the friends we make along the way um and i absolutely we got to have that barbecue in portland one of these days my friend absolutely my man we'll make it happen i promise aside from 
Soulsborne because I know we spent I knew we were going to spend a lot of time talking about Soulsborne which I was <laughs> super excited for but another thing off that that I really am intrigued with I did read that you are a pretty big vinyl collector and quite a big audio fan um I, uh sorry so my question with this sorry I had a brain fart there for a moment I do yes oh my god Led Zeppelin 4 <laughs> Dude, Led Zeppelin 4. My favorite band of all time. Yes, with the Stairway uh, to Heaven. Yes. Oh my God. I was literally sure. listening to that yesterday. I mean, one of the GOAT albums. There, there's a reason. Like, I have, sorry, I have just one of my redeems on my channel is show, show off a vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. And I have, oh my gosh. Like, here, here's a rare one, one of the first 10,000 pressings of Eye in the Sky by Alan Parsons Project. Alan Parsons was one of the design, uh, the sound engineers for Dark Side of the Moon, for Abbey Road, for the Beatles, and this is part of his solo work. So like, I have like original pressings. I have this very rare Overture of 1812 by Tchaikovsky, where instead of timpanis, they mm -hmm. did it as Tchaikovsky asked and played it with cannons what? so there are legit cannons being fired to make this piece what? i have some like everyone knows like come on i mean yeah every, yeah, every 90s kid knows this <laughs> <laughs> do you think it's, it's just yeah do you think i have, I have several hundred when it comes to like listening to music on vinyl versus streaming it is it i don't have a vinyl player myself i've never gotten into that but i love love music is it the ritual kind of experience of listening to it on vinyl that makes it for you so i i have a very very high-end system so there's there's like i draw a line here the ritual is amazing but there is more you get out of a song if you listen to it in the way it was originally recorded and originally intended so music from 50s, 60s, 70s, and even 80s were designed to be played on a record and on a record player sitting there listening to it and having that ritual that ties you to it, having this like the wonderful huge artwork with all these little facts and the lyrics inside the album, they get to express more artistry of what that they created rather than just the audio that you are listening to when you're streaming. For, but really it is very challenging for someone to tell the difference between vinyl and digital mm -hmm. so it's if you want to jump into vinyl if you want it just for the ritual go for it if you want it to be better don't go for buck it up much. with a lot of cash it's it is a lot to make your vinyl like be able to be noticeably better than what the streaming service is so if a song was originally recorded in a digital recording studio, pretty much any modern music, uh, like if I'm going to listen to Bjork, I'm not listening to her on vinyl. I have Bjork vinyl, but I'm not going to listen to it on vinyl. I'm going to listen to it in the, the actual digital recording straight from the masters and enjoy it that way because it's going through less steps to get to you. Whereas vinyl, like I search for original press to get the sound as close to what it was supposed to be. It's it, it's it's an, an addiction. That's very interesting. <laughs> I, I I never 
thought of it that way like specifically with how it was specifically at that time period made using mm -hmm. the hardware available at that time to mimic the experience that i i never really connected those pieces together um i know with with vinyls is there there's a collection aspect of it right like each one is it's almost like a book and a collection that you can hold exactly. it you can feel it you can take the artwork out and and the lyrics and it's yeah, that would be why I would want to start a vinyl you're, collection. <laughs> you're closer to the interaction. Right. And it's 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 that's really cool and really fun aspect of it. But know that you're just know the limitations when you're getting into it. If you're saying I'm going it's going to be the best sounding thing ever. It may not be yeah. prepared for it to not be. And no, like I ne I'm never one to tell people you need to spend all your money to get to this point and just I I'm there to say, "Hey, here's the be be realistic here and i don't want you wasting your money on something you think is going to be amazing and just really isn't commonly for you i've always thought it would be fun to like you know just get a, a cheaper record player and essentially just have it for like albums that are very special that i'm gonna listen to to the day i die like you know albums like dark side of the moon led zeppelin i mean all led zeppelin albums <laughs> oh, yeah. you know just like incredible albums that are just like a a staple of my life um and not so much as like i've never heard of this band or this the song before i'm gonna buy a vinyl of it like that's not exactly the way of going about it just more of the this is something that's so personal and dear to me and i'm i'm gonna be 90 100 years old still listening to this music so that's where the collection would come in i do gotta ask on the led zeppelin 4 album you have is that the one where it only has the stairway lyrics in it or does it have like a black dog rock and roll battle of evermore because i think oh, it was I mean, led zeppelin 4 they only had the lyrics to stairway to heaven on it i don't believe they had any of the other songs there it is i mean let's look <laughs> it's right here it's such a good album uh, although, it is such although such a good album i do usually end up skipping the song four sticks for whatever reason that one never stuck with me Ooh. only stairway lyrics only stairway lyrics i know that song is so overplayed and it's like it's the band even themselves think there's so many other songs that they have that are great but there's there's something i still get chills driving on the freeway and stairway to heaven comes on the radio i still get cheer cheers like every step of the way i still absolutely watch videos about it i still that was one of the songs like when i was learning to play guitar i'm like i have to as cheesy as it is it's it's cheesy because it's so overplayed but it is such a a special song you know are you the guy that gets the dirty look in the guitar store when you start playing stairway to heaven you know i don't i honestly don't know if i've ever played stairway actually i did play stairway to heaven on the piano one time Ooh, at guitar center okay. and i got a pass on that one okay good good but but I did end up, um, I went to Guitar Center one time and they had the double neck guitar that Jimmy Page would yes. use. And I, yes. they let me like strap it on and try it. And I was like 15 year old kid. I have no idea why they would let me do that now that I'm thinking about it. But that thing was like 30 pounds. That was such mm -hmm. a heavy guitar to play. It's a Gibson SG double neck, right? It is. And it was the red one and it was just, oh. It was awesome. It was an experience, but I ended up getting um, a Les Paul. That was like my anniversary or not anniversary, my wedding gift 
to myself my mm -hmm. wife said we were like looking at guitars and guitar center had a a used one that someone had bought and they returned it after a week and it had like a slight microscopic little kind of chip on it on and i was it was like 500 dollars off and it was like do the it same one that jimmy page had used and i was just i couldn't i couldn't press the buy button because it was so expensive and i'm like i just i've always wanted it but i i you, two thousand yeah. dollars for a guitar like what the yeah. f like why and she yep. ended up she like grabbed the computer and she bought it and i'm like oh my god see the thing with instruments though and guitars and saxophones mm -hmm. and just like instruments in general is i always see them as like art pieces that you can take off the wall and play you know 100 percent. like I, I i still have my uh my sg special that i pull out of the case every now and then and look at it and like you're so nice i never touch you anymore though they're so beautiful you know they really really are whether whether you use them for playing all the time or even just hang them up and play them occasionally like i, I there's so many times i'll look over and i don't have my last poll now because it's at the shop getting set up um good just well, like i remember <laughs> we had the conversation that there was like some fretboard issues or some truss rod issues going on with it yeah a couple like a week or so ago what what ended up happening was I was playing. I'm I'm really aggressive playing. Um, I went through a huge Stevie Ray Vaughan phase growing up, and so pretty much all of his playing is like hitting as hard as possible in some instances. So I've just always developed a habit of like playing guitar extremely aggressively, and so I break my guitar strings like every single month essentially. And uh, yeah, I broke the high E string and I was like, it's fine. I'll kind of roll with it for a little bit. And then I broke the G string and then I broke the A string like five minutes later. And I'm like, okay, it's, I should probably take it in now and get, get this, everything all set up again for it. But do you, that was a little bit of a tangent, my bad. Um, do you play any, good. any instruments yourself? Do you, you obviously play guitar? I, I used to, I used to play guitar and I used to play piano. Those are two things that I have let fall by the wayside as the journey of life has pushed me forward. Do you want? Do you ever think you'll pick either of them back up, or just maybe sparingly? No. Uh, he, here's a, here's a fun, my fun story. One, I'll start out. I'm okay, so we'll start out with that story. But when and when I was 19, I was bit on the back of my left elbow by a black widow, and so I have like my my left hand is permanently numb what from the the nerve damage from the neurotoxin of the black widow like you can poke it with a knife and i, I could barely feel anything what so hitting the frets is a little bit harder for me nowadays so it's just i haven't put the effort into it and just focused on doing other things wow it, did you get to like a hospital pretty quick after you got bit or I did, but there's not, honestly, with a black widow bite, there's not much they can do unless you're having a really bad reaction just to stabilize you. Just the neurotoxin is going to run its course. If you're not, if you don't look like you're dying, there's not much they can do. Really? Like if you were in that state of having a adverse reaction or dying or something, like what would they do? Do they just stick you there's with a needle and antibiotics? They can, well, it's not antibiotics because um, it, since it's not a, a bacterial thing going on, what they'll just make sure that you have enough adrenaline in your system to start pumping it out. They make sure your oxygen levels are at the appropriate level, that things are just your body's working properly and to like mm. enhance what what's starting to shut down to make sure that you keep going. That's terrifying. That is just 
I'm not a spider fan at all myself. Spiders are are just up there for things I'm just not into. So black That's widow, weird. my they god. Don't bug me. Oh spiders don't bug me. And I have you got every bit. reason to hate them. <laughs> nope, they don't bug me at all. Oh girl. Oh spiders. I'm not a fan. <laughs> um one question I did want to ask in terms of like the albums and vinyls and everything. So as somebody that is an album listener, what are your thoughts on listening to an album all the way through versus just oh, those yes. individual songs or like greatest hits or on the radio? There's a different experience, right? Right. It's a completely different experience. And some songs are only good when they're sandwiched between these other songs. And but also that's an art that's disappearing. Yes. Because now albums are coming out because they are like, we're selling these hits and we need these fillers to make an album to make money for these hits to sell. Yes. And so they actually have like percentiles of hits that they go for. And so the artistry behind that is starting to deteriorate for many of the mainstream media. Like if, if you listen to, oh, let's see, what's, what's one... Like pretty much any R&B album that or hip hop album recently, it's just go for the hit, put in filler and no one ever listens to the filler and no one cares. And it becomes just this big money machine that you lose out of the artistry behind it. Whereas on the indie scene, which I live fairly close to Austin, so I get to touch on the indie scene now and then I get to experience the indie scene of music where that artistry is still alive and well and still just thriving i will kind of push a little back on that the two hip-hop artists that do phenomenal album oh, experiences um if you haven't listened to them have a life-changing experience suits um kendrick lamar's to pimp a butterfly kendrick lamar his album damn oh my god also damn um oh my god very very good have you listened to pimp a butterfly by any chance i've not i will have oh. to go listen to that Lit that literally might be my favorite hip-hop album album maybe not specific songs in there but as a complete experience it is a life-changing jazz hip-hop you will absolutely love it my friend dr dre's early albums were phenomenal mm. phenomenal just start pl press play listen the whole thing it was a story yes i love those yes the other one i'll say have you heard of run the jewels I have heard of Run the Jewels. Yes. All, all of, aside, maybe not their first one, but their second, third, and fourth album are just the the way the songs flow into each other. You have like really aggressive songs and then calmer songs. And there's like tidbits. I always love when albums have songs with like little tidbits into the next song, you know, like the flow is just subtly there. Um, Run the Jewels also like hip hop alternative, very political, very political but just very masterful lyricists and, and just the way their albums flow together. That is such a thing, like you said, that's just going out of style, it seems. And it's such a shame because yeah, when you hear, when you listen to something like anybody that's listened to dark side of the moon with headphones on and just close their eyes and listen to it, that is an experience unlike anything you may ever hear again. So yeah, the album experience is, oh, I'm such an album listener. I'm such an album listener. Favorite album. What is your favorite album? Favorite non non soundtrack album. Favorite album. Because I have one I could spout off while you're thinking. 
Daft Punk's Discovery. Ooh, that's just if that's I just so had to good. lay down an album, <laughs> Daft Punk's Discovery is my absolute favorite album experience right there. That's a really good one. That's a really, really good one. I don't know, like one single album. Like I'm guessing it's the if you're going to an island and you can only bring one album with you for the rest of your life. Right. Oh man. I would probably have to say a Led Zeppelin album because they're probably my number one favorite artist of all time. That's fair. Um Oh, I kind of want to say Led Zeppelin 4, but maybe, maybe, oh, so hard. Favorite album. Oh, graffiti's another good one. Oh, physical graffiti, even Led Zeppelin 2. Like, my God, Led Zeppelin 2 is just like, just pure amazingness. I, I'd probably have to say Led Zeppelin 4, just right on the spot right now this second. That's fine. But if you ask me in another minute, it'll probably be something different. Like, OK Computer <laughs> is also super good up there. Kid A is amazing. I mean, Radiohead is is right up oh, there yeah. with Led Zeppelin too. Radiohead's another artist, by the way, that is amazing on vinyl because they record in analog, yeah. unlike many other uh, and many other artists recording digitally. So the analog recording translates perfectly onto vinyl. You know, I always heard all the love about Radiohead, and what's so interesting is like I really genuinely don't think I ever heard the song "Creep." until well into I was binging through Radiohead's discography and then just come to find out it's like up there with Smells Like Teen Spirit as like a song exactly. of the 90s and I'm like really really that's like it's that big and um I, I never I listened to OK Computer one time because everyone was saying it's like the best thing in the entire existence of humanity and I didn't get it I was like I I'm not sure what all this is about and then I got intoxicated on some green vegetables shall we say and yeah it immediately hit me and i was like just mesmerized with it i was on my phone reading the lyrics along with every single song i had my oh. headphones like this like and it was it was up there with dark side of the moon kind of experience like song to song to song the way um like exit music hits and it's just such a builder and then just oh yeah it's 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 an experience 100 have you have you jumped down the prog rock yes world yet okay i was, I, I love give me some yes emerson lake and palmer get me some rush and then even Genesis. more modern kind of oh yes and even some more modern stuff like dream theaters yes. octavarium that album oh my gosh i can't tell you how many times i've just played octavarium start to finish just go i am dedicating this hour and a half to sit here and enjoy all these tracks metropolis is the, oh. that album is just a masterful oh yes like it's so good I, I i know Prague for some people is just kind of like the uh, elitism of music some i've heard some people say but like if you if you just like understand how music works and how like certain chords work over each other oh my god listening to dream theater is like i i imagine it would be like a chef who's really good at cooking going to experience like the greatest chef in the world and having just more appreciation you know than the common than the common man as you would say you won't find four four timing very often in prog rock <laughs> my 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 coworker was telling me that I needed to listen to uh, the new Tool album when it came out. Mm -hmm. And I'd never listened to Tool, never was into it or anything. And then I listened to it and right away, as a musician, I immediately just notice and understand when a song's not in 4-4 timing and it immediately mm -hmm. grabs my attention and I'm like, okay, 
what what is this like five eight or seven eight what is going on here i'm immediately interested and that was another album like laying back on the bed listening to it it was yeah that that's another great album i'm a big fan of yeah, get, get something going in 29 30 seconds over here <laughs> yes yes oh and sometimes i will say sometimes with dream theater specifically there's some stuff where i'm just like did they just sit down and we're just mathing this out and trying i almost feel like they were trying to make it as complex as it could be to give themselves a challenge you know but that's what's so amazing about like progressive music is the changes the key signature changes the time signature changes the band has to be so in sync with each other and know what's coming up to be able to play it and it's 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 so when it's masterfully done it's just unlike anything you've ever heard before and they're not as popular like prog rock isn't as popular as your common typical rock because you can't bop right. to prog rock really and then take that even further you can't dance to it and then the lyrics are are never in this like I'm going to play uh, like dance to this right, uh, right. Like, have this chorus going in my head because the chorus like leads into the bridge, which leads into this, which and there the song structure is just so complex that it's this it's a story in and of itself that is told through like chords and time signatures and lyrics and these these wonderful intricacies of melodies that you can't just sit there and jive to. A hundred percent I agree. And what makes some of the best like dream theater albums specifically so mm -hmm. good is how some song lyrics relate to other song lyrics and it really creates this like it's not even like it's a song to song to song it's like a chapter of an overarching story right just really and everything cool. weaves together and there's like themes in one piece that end up in this other piece and then like octavarium ends up kind of having themes of the seven tracks before it and it just yes. goes into this it's this incredibly complex thing that if you want to sit and relax and listen to music this isn't for you typically and that's what most music does so that's why prog rock isn't as popular as many other mainstream things i i would even put like jazz like some good jazz in that same exact category because jazz is i mean there's some pop jazz and some you know you can dance to it jazz but there's a lot of jazz that if you just are not listening to it or not bopping mm -mm. to it like it just it can sound like noise to a lot of people that have no idea what's going on, especially like bebop and a lot of that really crazy stuff. These crazy chord changes and like scales and everything. There's so much going on, but when you like break it down, it's so methodical. They knew what they were doing. They knew how to play over each other. And it's, it's so, it's just watching like masters at work, you know? Yeah. Case in point, Bitches Brew by Miles Davis. Miles, that whole yeah. album, amazing, but you're in for a ride buddy and then on the opposite side of that like kind of blue is kind of like the mm -hmm. flip polar opposite of that because that's something right. anybody like if somebody comes up to you and they're like i know nothing about jazz but i kind of want to get in kind of blue kind of listen blue. to it Done. You, you'll you'll get it right off of that man i love finding talking to people who really understand just music that's I'm, I'm a firm believer that like every decade has amazing music in it and amazing artists in it and amazing genres and 
it always frustrates me when some people are like all oh, the music nowadays suck and i'm like no there's amazing music today there is amazing music yesterday decades ago like there's always going to be amazing music in different genres from different artists all over but you kind of do have to do a little bit of digging and do some legwork and you can't just turn the radio on and expect to hear you know the grand maestro at work essentially keep in mind what we're hearing of the greatest hits are the greatest hits of the old of like the decade True. that's what the radio is like because you're there they've already gone through the collection they've already selected the best so you have all this wonderful nostalgia and just understanding of what came from there that's just being blasted at you and set in just perfect after perfect whereas today it's new we haven't gone through it yet it hasn't had time to evolve into the understanding that we need to define what the this next thing is that's going to define the music world because it's just an ever-changing scene isn't it so fascinating with music and, and i feel the same with like movies as well you can just like listen to it and you have no idea what the song is who the artist is it could be a brand new song and you can almost immediately identify what decade it's in you're like, that sounds like an 80s song for sure. Or that sounds like it could have been in the 60s with like the Beatles and stuff like that. You can just hear the decade in it. And part of it is like the equipment being used. Part of it is like the just the storage technology. Like well, even breaking it down to equipment, you can hear it's a Fender or it's a Gibson. Yes. Easy. Yes. Super easy. Yes. You You know and then you know like it's not either of those so there's there's kind of those those three sounds you get like it's a it's a fender it's a gibson it's an oddball <laughs> for like the 70s 80s rock and versus nowadays like everything is so processed digitally through a computer like i mean i've heard some guitar players make their les paul sound more like a stratocaster than a stratocaster and mm -hmm. whereas back then like there wasn't that much of that kind of digital alterization at all so you can really hear when you know jimmy hendrix is using a stratocaster and jimmy oh, page yeah. is using a les paul like through a marshall amp you're like you can just hear the sound so oh music is we could spend the next like 10 hours talking about music it's so good um but i did hear or read one other super fascinating thing that i did want to jump into here real quick i also read you're really interested in car racing do you oh my goodness do you yourself race or are you more of a fan of watching the races i used to race competitively like in legal sanctioned national circuits i used to race and car motorcycle car car yeah. racing and it specifically i did what's called um it, it's small agility courses so i never got into like letting it rip open in fourth or fifth gear it was all about how well you could handle your vehicle on a very tight mm. track and really learn how your the car behaves and what you need to do lines like falling racing lines were important knowing when to shift knowing when to brake, knowing when to press the gas it was super accentuated in such these these tight these tight tracks and i had so much fun sadly racing is not a cheap hobby yeah. at all I mean, you, if something breaks, you're fixing a car. <laughs> Since when Thousands. is fixing a car affordable? Right. And so I, I had this tiny little Toyota third gen MR2 and I 
adored that car and I spent so much time just tinkering with her and just getting to re really feel the track. And I was very lucky when I do got into car racing that I had a mentor come along with me who has multi-time multi podium finisher, national champion, like an amazing, amazing driver. And he really helped carry me along. Eventually, I, I plan to get back into like sim racing because I love just handling a car. I love that visceral feel, and but doing it in a more uh, cost-efficient more responsible manner that a, a family man needs to do nowadays i so i've been interested in trying like the sim racing and stuff um i just got like triple monitors and i know mm -hmm. a lot of people really like to do, use them for like sim racing and stuff like that so the other one i've been wanting to try is squadrons have you played that at all i i've downloaded it i have not played it yet do I, I do I need to? I haven't played it myself at all. I've watched a couple videos on it and it looks it essentially looks like racing, but you're in Star Wars in space, which it's looks really cool. Um, I've been having some like weird ass issues with my computer th though, like lately where they're all 4K, all three of them are 4K. And I don't know if it's like my 3090 can't handle all of them because they're also all 144 Hertz. Ooh. which I know is like kind of maxing out the tip of the iceberg essentially. And there's been times where I'm like, like today I was editing in Premiere Pro, like editing um, like a clip for podcast while editing the thumbnail on this monitor in Photoshop while having like eight Chrome tabs open over here and having like music playing and talking. And, and it was my whole computer like completely crashed on me and took like 10 <sighs> minutes to boot back up. So I'm like, please don't fry. I just got you, please. <laughs> but you have a killer computer too. It is. Yeah, I got a 5950X and a 3090. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just went like top of the line because I'm 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 a big believer in like buying very high end good stuff and just mm -hmm. keeping it forever, like keeping it. You know, that's how we are with like our cars with computer stuff just like buy expensive stuff because it's good quality you'll love it you'll enjoy it and just don't buy don't buy the next one the hot next one the 4090 when it comes out next year just keep it ride it out for five years ten years as long as you can and then when something breaks and it's like irreplaceably kind of broken then that's when kind of looking at, at upgrading that's a, that's a very good way to do it I feel very I feel, good way to do it I feel also like you're you're a heavy content creator so you need horsepower behind what all you do. Yeah, I don't know how if I should, I was telling my wife today, I'm like, I don't know if I should have got three 4K 144 Hertz <laughs> monitors. Like, cause I was watching a Linus Tech Tip video and he was saying with a 3090, now 4K monitors are a thing, but I don't think he specified anywhere that 144 Hertz as well. So yeah. And three of them. And three of them. Cause when you math that out, that's like, half a billion pixels times mm -hmm. 144. 144. <laughs> right. Good God. And then because it, that's the that's the cap is how many pixels per second that this that a card can just put out. That's one of the limiting factors. And yeah, yeah, that you, you may be hitting it with half a billion <laughs> pixels. Right. Oh, I, I, honestly, like my room, my room here is usually pretty cool and i like always keep the fan on and after streams and after podcasts you could probably see it a little bit oh the, mm -hmm. this thing just like heats the room up like it is hot yes it's toasty it just, 
<laughs> we won't need to turn our heater on for the winter at all. We good. <laughs> we good. Oh boy. Um, on, on, we kind of went off on a computer tangent there. On, good. on the car racing stuff, have you seen the movie Ford versus Ferrari by any chance? I have. It's amazing. We just watched it like a week ago for the first time ever. And I immediately wanted to rewatch it again. It was really good. It it goes to show how amazing the GT40 was and the amount of engineering and how much it changed the complete industry by this. And and that's the one really cool thing about the, uh, the Le Mans races is it's not only about who's the fastest, it adds reliability into the equation as well. Right. And you're running this card hard for, for 24 hours. And if it breaks, you fix it and you put it back on the track or you, you just stop. Right. And the amount of people that were not finishing races back then, it's just, this was a much larger number than what is now going on today. And the car racing industry pushes technology further and further from what we experience today. So like Formula One cars had like back in the 80s had certain things that 90s and 2000s cars now have because of the engineering push that has happened from the just these races. It's really cool to see just that trickle down effect that happened. It's cool seeing that just in all technology, like seeing what's it almost it almost makes you open your eyes and realize like these really huge, you know, powerful business people of the world, like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, they're probably really living like 10 years in the future when they're in their laboratories with their engineers, like their high up advanced engineers who are planning the next thing, like four or five models down the road. Yeah. They're probably living in some kind of future that, uh, that, that would be really cool. Like imagine just being Jeff Bezos and just like looking at some technology and like, yeah, this will come out in like 2027 when we're ready for it, when cost and production come down, but that'd be really cool to get a glimpse of the future, you know? Of what's to come, yeah. Working in IT, you see, I see some of that. Like I see of the concepts that are coming down and the just some of the capabilities that are just cost prohibitive to get into that just now exist and the evolution that has happened from that technology is amazing i really absolutely amazing i really wonder if this is going to be the decade of like the ar glasses kind of like google glass but in a way better way do you think that could be a thing absolutely that could be a thing the google glass uh really broke down because there was no way to do the mentorization that was needed to have the google glass be as efficient as it needed to be but with just the low energy lcd technology that they can do transparent over glasses now that you then connect via bluetooth and then it's just this very very lightweight pair of glasses running on very high-end batteries it's entirely plausible and that should be coming out i would not be surprised if that came out sooner rather than later i really yeah i i just imagine I've always thought like people having conversations cause I'm, I used to work in cell phones, selling cell phones. Like I was in retail sales and stuff and all that. And I don't know. I feel like smartphones, I'm so smartphones are just this technology that's taken over the world. And I mean, 
I see it everywhere. Like people driving and they're on their phone. You know, they get to the next light and then they got to look at their phone again. They get to the next light. They got to look at their phone again. You know, people at families at dinner and like five, six people just all on their phones. And it's, it's just this technology that's completely overtaken our lives. And I just wonder how that's going to be when we have it literally instead of like a screen right here, we have it like right here in our face, you know, like, are people really going to be looking you in the eye and talking to you? Or are they going to be looking like over here at their message or their Twitter feed or something? And about that from coming from the, the cyber world, realizing how much of yourself that you give away when you start getting into these devices, just except like we the can user talk agreement. <laughs> Yeah, accept the user agreement and realize that I randomly, what did actually, I randomly talked about this certain thing with another friend of mine and lo and behold, what's on my Google ads, what's on my Facebook ads, oh, but God. exactly what I, yeah. How many times have you seen that? Yes. And you just yes. realize that's them skimming very little information. Im imagine like th they have all your emails. They have like everything about your life goes through these devices, goes through these services. The amount of privacy that like you have to surrender in order to just operate as a human day to day in today's world is like terrifying. And then the people who don't realize what they're giving up when they jump into this is I mean, I understand why people don't know, but yeah, it's terrifying. Like, I, I've sold my soul. <laughs> I've sold my soul. Uh, Google knows everything about me, and it's part of how you have to live nowadays. Isn't it so interesting to think that this, like, little device in your hand knows more about you than probably your closest partner, wife, spouse, family, parents. Like, this device literally knows you more than any other creature, soul, human on the entire face of the planet. It knows what you want for you know what you want. Yes, I, man. I've had this conversation with a couple people that about what you were just saying, you're having a conversation with someone like, let's say we're talking about guitars and the next thing you know, there's going to be guitar advertisements all over Facebook and, and you and YouTube and stuff. Like I see that as one of two things, either these companies are lying to us and really are listening to our microphones and using that data to give us these insanely accurate ads or possibly even more terrifying than that their algorithms are so advanced and so incredibly they know you better than you know yourself that they know that you're going to be wanting that guitar or going to be wanting those new pair of shoes and or what that new video game that's about to come out like they just know you better than you know yourself and i both are terrifying, like companies spying on us illegally is terrifying or, you know, algorithms that are more advanced than we give credit for are terrifying. But I feel like that algorithm one might be the scarier of the two. One fun thing that has happened to me, I have like my personal Instagram account and my Twitch Instagram account. The ads I get on two, both of these are extremely different. And it's quite funny to see like, this side thinks that Twitch, Twitch streamer side. wants this. Twitch streamer wants this, and I, uh, Twitch streamer doesn't define me that much as a human being. Just and then the family side of me, like my day to day life, thinks I want this. I'm like, yeah, you're you're pretty right. Like, 
no, I don't care about TikTok dances. Right. right. <laughs> no. the, the dichotomy of those two Instagram accounts, because I have them entirely digitally separated like into like distinct sandboxes where the no two shall meet. And it's really cool to see just how different they are. So here's here's a question for you. Um, I think we might be very similar in this regard. Have you told anybody your real name? Like, does anybody know the real suits here, your name? There, there are a few people, and those few people are like, like some of them are like, we're looking for a job in the industry that I'm in. I'm like, hey, hmm. send me your resume. We'll talk. Um, like when Doro got doxxed, I'm like, hey, man, this is who I really am. I know you're getting doxxed. Let you. me help you. You know who I know who I really am. Because it's just, I, I know, like, he was at a, like, Doro getting docs was a very vulnerable moment. It was a scary time. Like, hey, yeah. look, here's my Instagram. I am who I say I am. I'll help you out. <laughs> Not my Instagram, sorry. My LinkedIn. Yeah, my LinkedIn. Oh, like, it's super fresh. <laughs> and then, yeah, a couple other people have been, like, trying to break into my industry. I've been doing some, just talking to them about how to break in, what they need to do. And I give them my work email address. It's like, here. Email you me your resume to here. Let's talk. And so I take it to a different level when it's starting to get into a like the more professional side of my my life. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um. I'm kind of in that same boat where like I there's only I think one person who knows what my actual name is. And w when I first started streaming, I knew I almost thought of it as like how hip hop artists have like a stage name or like book artists have like a pen name. You know, you just have like this almost separate persona and I I always thought eventually I would kind of you know say my real name and get more personal but like hearing stories about what happened with Doro and just I don't know the internet's a really scary place and well, it, like it, it doesn't help but well one Doro is out there with his real name also Doro's real name is extremely unique mm -hmm. so it made it easy and I showed him that but um, like for me and you, we're we're not we're we don't hesitate to say what city we live in because we live in major Portland, metropolitan yeah, area. Austin. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck finding <laughs> millions me. of people. Yeah. Good luck. Exactly. And yeah, so I so like there's certain certain things just to protect you from the wild internet that's out there because. The wild internet's open to everyone, and not everyone's a good person. Right. So, doing the little bit of anonymity of hiding your like your actual name, or even certain other private details, is enough to uh, just let people know that hey, uh, I I want to connect with you. That's why you know, hey, I live in Texas. This is kind of what I do in Texas. But then leave out the like very key information for finding out exactly who I am and protect your family and just right. the crazy things that can happen from that. Right. Right. I, I a thousand percent agree. And it's not that you don't want to have like as close a personal relationship with these people as, as you can. It's just, you just, the world's a scary place. People are scary. And just, you know, if you can just put as many, not shields, but safeguards, safeguards in right. place just to be on the safe side. It it's, it's going to do more good than bad. And it's not like you or I have an issue with our community that we're right. building up and sharing together. It's who else is out there. Right. Since we're the focal point of all these things that are going on. 
and making sure you maintain that little bit of anonymity from being the focal point. I, I yeah, I 100% agree and 100% get it. And then that's why only a handful actually know me on like a, an IRL basis, because then it's like, well, we already have a conversation going. There's other things going on. There's like already like some other social agreements happening that then, then we get to the IRL side. And very few people who have come to the IRL side from the Twitch interactions have stayed there because it was just more like professional. I'm going to consult with your resume, help talk you through it, and then go on your own way. And like, I'm still suits to you and you're still your screen name to me. Right, right. Do you, do you um, kind of have that same feeling with some of the people you work with that also stream? Do they ever call you suits in a, in a fun way? Uh, it, in work, we always call each other by our own name. Because Name. well, yeah. I work in a, I, I work in a very professional office gotcha. environment, so yo suits <laughs> randomly saying like being called suits, okay? Or like, one of my one of the people I have have like a unique screen name and mm -hmm. or named after a storybook character and randomly calling someone after the name of a fairy tale. Be a head scratcher. It may not go over, <laughs> right. not go over well. <laughs> right, totally makes sense, a hundred percent. So I do have a last few questions before we wrap up this amazing conversation that we've had. Um, one that I love to talk about with people is, or one question I always love to bring up is, what is one thing that you love about streaming on Twitch? It's the community. It's getting to interact with people. And just, I like before I was streaming on Twitch, uh, before the pandemic, I would host like monthly wine socials at my house. I was all about building a community and getting to interact with more people. And then just COVID taking away that, taking that away from me. And then I found myself in Twitch. It's been a wonderful place to be. It just the people make it. I don't, I don't really care what video game is on your screen. I'm all about interacting with all the other people. A hundred percent. I love hearing people say that because it just goes to show that, I mean, if people are coming to Twitch to make boatloads of money or become super duper duper famous and all that like can happen but you know it's it's like winning the lottery so when you kind of look at it for more of just what is this platform and what can i use it for what can i get out of it what can i give to it the fact that you can just connect with you know you can have friends in japan and holland and you know egypt and australia and they can all be in the same stream at the same time i almost irl conversing is that's where we're at with technology and it, it, there's it's so great there's been times i've been streaming and i'm just playing and then i'll just have this moment like this light bulb in my head and i'm like dude you, we're like scattered all across the world in real time talking this is such this is so cool <laughs> pretty amazing technology always blows my mind on the converse side of that conversely what is one thing you do not enjoy about streaming on twitch um the one thing i don't enjoy is that so many people make it a numbers game mm. and by living the numbers game you you tear yourself apart and tear others apart like i'm susceptible to that like i've even played the numbers game I've gone to the websites and see what my stats are and uh, then questioning myself like what did I do wrong what it, what what do I need to change so you instead of taking it for the ride of who you are and what you're trying to do you end up trying to figure out what's 
try just beating yourself over things that you can't control. Like you yeah. probably noticed, like we all look at numbers. We're all streamers. We all look at numbers. Um, like last week, last week had pretty low numbers for many streamers, mm. specifically because it was finals week. And then like I look like, did I do something wrong? Am I changing something? And then it took me a while to realize everyone's having bad numbers. It's it's what's going on in the world right now. And then just stop beating yourself up. So the numbers detracting from many of the other things you love about streaming and putting an extra burden on yourself and more stress is the one thing I don't like about Twitch. I've honestly been feeling that very much personally. I, I've been very much caught in my head mentally these past like two, three weeks about just mm -hmm. numbers dropping. It's weird. I feel like when I left my job to do this full time, you know, um, I feel like it's just been a, a roller coaster of emotions and mental hurdles and door. And I spent a long time last week talking just really in depth about this, just about how these mental hurdles of constantly comparing yourself, constantly getting lost in the numbers, constantly looking at others. And you're like, why are they hitting partner or doing this or hitting that or getting hundreds of viewers? And you know, I'm not getting that. There's just so many things that come up and there's so many reasons that can happen. You know, for it could be finals week. It could just be, there's so many things outside of our control that we can't control why people can't like visit our streams or don't visit our streams um and it's it's been it's been tough me personally trying to kind of get over that mental hurdle but there was a big i took a week off of streaming and there was a lot of like looking in the mirror and just why do you stream what originally started you on streaming what do you get out of it that has nothing to do with numbers or subs or anything like that like what's the what's the content like what's the heart of why you do this and like I said earlier, if it's not, if it's money and if it's getting famous, it's just, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Like you're going to, you're not going to be happy with it months to come. So that's, I totally agree with that so much. And I feel like a lot of us are, are kind of feeling that, you know, that drop in numbers. Why is this happening? did I do something wrong? And just taking that step back and looking at it for the right reasons can go such a long way suits. Um, so last two questions for you my friend before we wrap up this podcast in your own words what does streaming mean to you suits streaming means i get to interact with unique people from around the world and explore who these individuals are like it's it's it, it's a hobby of mine of really finding out what makes each individual person tick and what makes each individual person just unique. Like even one of my channel points redeemed is, do I know a guy? Which is a random thing to be on there because like, throughout my life, I've been the person that knows everyone. And that's because I enjoy digging into what each individual person has. I, I, I have one friend who plays the harpsichord Ooh. on his spare time yeah what? random fact yeah why would i know that my buddy plays the harpsichord ever because he just does it for fun it's just it's such a random thing that this developer also does that's a cool <laughs> instrument it's a it's a weird <laughs> instrument and it's really cool but finding out by taking the interactions of people to that level where you're getting to share things about them and about yourself and that's what streaming is for me is just getting to interact with all the people's
from all these walks of life and other countries and growing up in entirely different facets and getting to see that and experience all these cultural diversities and these like upbringing diversities makes me so excited to stream every single well every single week that is an absolute a plus reason i i, I love that answer 100 percent. last question for you my friend where can all of our viewers and listeners connect with you online you all of you can connect with me on twitch really easily at suits here you can see me on youtube with my few my little content i have and i am always always available on discord i i have it up and i will respond to any dm that i get and links to all of those socials absolutely are going to be down in the description below so definitely check out suits on all the social media links when you get a chance you will not be sorry Thank you all so much for watching and listening to this week's episode of the Zephcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to smash that like button for the YouTube algorithm. It really does help the channel out a lot. And if you want to see more of your favorite content creators, streamers, and podcasters in the near future, don't forget to subscribe. It's absolutely free to do so. And we'll be having even more exciting content coming up soon. Thank you all again for watching Zephyr's XP suits here. And I'll catch you all in the next one, my friends. Much love, everybody.